posh street to the smart town bar, but everybody in a dark place. Yeah. Crying tears like a river run. No umbrella and you're caught in the rain. Running low on faith, can I get an amen? This is for when life is coming at ya. Hands up, here's your anthem. If you're having a hard day, ain't no way you're giving up. To the smart town bar, but everybody in a dark place. Yeah. Crying tears like a river run. No umbrella and you're caught in the rain. Running low on faith, can I get an amen? This is for when life is coming at ya. Hands up, hey. your anthem. If you're having a hard day, ain't no way you're giving up. Spinning with all the negativity, yeah. Don't forget you can shut it off. Trying to catch your mind when it runs. Easier said than done. Can I get a name, man? This is where life is coming at you. Hands up. Here's your name. Better not give up. Trouble only lasts for a little while. Joy will come in the morning. You will not be crying always. Gotta be joyful, folks. Got a joy down in my spirit. This is the day that the Lord has made And I ain't gonna let it slip away I'm gonna be joyful Yes I am, yes I am I'm gonna be joyful Today I'm gonna be joyful Ooh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, gonna be joyful I got the feeling that you get when you get new kicks. Bell ringing on the last day of singing, yeah. High fiving everybody, but we out of here. Today, today. So fast, life comes and goes. Make it last, best slow your road. They don't take it as a choice, but you gotta know that today's the day. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. And my ain't gonna let it slip away. Nah, I'm gonna be joyful. You can choose to be happy or you can choose to be sad. Me, I choose to be joyful. Gotta have a heart of gratitude. Life is not perfect. Don't get it twisted. No, it's not. But we still got to make the best of it. No matter what we're going through, we're still being blessed. God is an on-time God, never late. You better believe that. The shoulders for the burdens I'm bearing broke down and pulling over by the wayside was never made for this type of way. So I throw my hands up and my load gets lighter. I throw my hands up and then burn like fire. Float up to heaven like the smoke in the air. I flip my worries in the prayer, leave them right there. Just lay it down, it's not your fight. Don't worry, it'll be alright. Don't worry, make your don't worry about anything because worrying does not solve it. I know your problems seem God sized. If you can see them through God's eyes, if you can only see them through God's eyes, yeah. I know your problems seem God sized. If you can see them through God's eyes. Yes, he is always on time, and he indeed is good like that. If I had a dollar for every time they say God, what I'm gonna come through, I'd be a Oh, uh. 
got a dollar for every time they say God, what I'm gonna come through I'd be a Yes, he is. He is good like that. He comes through for us right when we need him to. It is 10 after the top of the hour. Coming up, we're going to have the headlines. Don't you dare go anywhere. This is our praise and worship segment. Started it a couple weeks ago. Had to be obedient. 15 minutes, the first 15 minutes of Caffeine Toe. It's all about praise and worship, gratitude.
think I can squeeze in one more? Here is William Murphy. It is working. You just heard from Marvin Sapp. Your way is better. It is your season. Let the church say amen, and it is time for us to go ahead and get started. Gotta say good morning to all our listeners around the world. Everyone logged on and listening on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. And everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. Of course, I have to say good morning to my studio audience, courtesy of Clubhouse. It is Thursday, May 4th. It's also hashtag TBT throwback Thursday music and retrospect. So we're taking you back to the ages. Yeah, I think we're going to hang out in the 80s and 90s today. Thank you so much for joining me for Coffee in Tow, World News on the Go. We do this every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, where I read the news and we share our views. You can follow me on Twitter at me, Media Moments, on Instagram, Moments underscore with underscore me underscore media, and on TikTok, Moments with me media. And here's what we got coming up for you today out of the Caribbean corner. Antiguan government enters into agreement to boost investments in Liat. Out of Guyana. Oh boy, some of my ladies are now out of a job. Oh, gotta pivot, girls. Gotta pivot. But brothels operated by Venezuelan nationals destroyed. That's the oldest profession in the world. Will they ever be able to get rid of it? I doubt it. Man attempts to flee Kingston Airport with $12 million worth of cocaine. Are you dumb? 
More than 1,000 people have criminal records expunged in Jamaica and also out of Jamaica, Minister Chuck says no same-sex marriage to be sanctioned locally. In Trinidad and Tobago, uh, the security minister is saying that China has donated uh, natural disaster equipment. Out of Latin America, Mexico's president denounces USAID funds as interventionists. Ooh. He, he has a point. <laughs> On the international scene, Ukraine denies Russian claim Kiev sent drones to hit Kremlin. South Africans ask the UK to return the diamonds in Charles's crown jewels and we're going to enter Camilla, a modern and complex queen. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about her for a little bit. We need a little entertainment, right? Cruella Cambella. Y'all and behave yourself behave yourself moment behave yourself in news out of north america dion patterson arrested after shooting five people in medical waiting room 10 year old children were found working at a louisville mcdonald's until 2 a.m advocates in florida clamor for a fix for the formerly incarcerated who want to vote a michigan school district has banned students from carrying backpacks Library funding becomes the nuclear option as the battle over books escalates. New York State is set to ban fossil fuels in new construction starting in 2026. And John Legend knows the obstacles of life after prison, and he wants you to know them too. In business and tech news, Apple and Google will now alert Android when an AirTag is near. Huh. Definitely want to hear more about that one. Airbnb will push rooms as a low-cost option to house rentals. Michelle Obama launches a food company aimed at healthier choices for children. And that's in our health and science segment. We're going to have the details of those stories and more coming up after a little more music. It is time for us to, excuse me, get to our hashtag tbt throwback thursday playlist taking you back to the ages here is george benson with turn your love around I have a little Shaka Khan, George McRae, Diana Ross, stick around.
getting you ready to take on the weekend hope we're helping to put you in a good mood get your day started right choosing to start your day with us well depending on where you are in the world thank you for checking in with us appreciate my online listeners from all over the world throughout the Caribbean Afri- from the continent Africa Europe Asia South America North America appreciate each and every one of you It's 25 after the top of the hour. If you got somewhere to be at the bottom, you have five minutes to get there. Please be safe. The voice of Diana Ross, upside down. Boy, you turn me 
inside out round around upside down boy you turn me inside out and round and round instinctively you give to me the love that I need I cherish the moments with you respectfully I say to thee I'm aware that you're cheating when no one Ladies, do not let any man turn you into a yam head. Don't let him turn you upside down, inside out, round and round. <laughs> Instinctively, you give to me the love that I need. I cherish the moment with you. Respectfully, I say to thee, I'm aware that you're cheating, but no one makes me feel like you do. Gonna give you one more from back in the day. We're gonna make this a night to remember. Well, in this case, we're gonna make this a show to remember. Here is Shalimar taking you back. It is Throwback Thursday, hashtag TBT. Music in retrospect. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we have the details. Great conversation and more music later on. realize that tomorrow is Cinco de Mayo. Oh boy. Gotta watch out for the drunkards on the roads. You know people gonna go out and get stupid drunk. Well the good thing though is that it will be on a Friday. Don't have to worry about calling out from work the next day. Just hope everyone will be safe. 
they celebrate drinking their cerveza, tequilas, margaritas, and eating their tacos, their tequeños, taquitas, burritos, <laughs> whatever. the bottom of the hour time for us to go ahead and get started thank you so much once again to everyone listening online listening on the quality music zone qmzradio.com for quality music while you work or play keep it logged on to www.qmzradio.com for that good music to get you through your day and to everyone listening on johnoradio.com the non-stop party vibe station download the Jano radio app j-a-h-k-n-o it is available in your apple and google play stores Jano radio take us on the go and of course i gotta say good morning to my studio audience courtesy of clubhouse after all this is where the conversation happens thank you so much for being here with me it is time for us to go ahead and get started and we are kicking it off in the caribbean corner For our first story, we head on over to Antigua. Antiguan government enters into agreement to boost investments in Liat. Story courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com. The Antigua and Barbuda government says it has agreed to the terms of a joint initiative with Africa's largest private carrier, Airpeace, to boost investments in Liat 2020 Limited. It said both parties are to invest in the Antigua-based airline through cash and other assets, with Airpeace acquiring a majority stake. The government said that the aim is in the emergence of an airline able to respond to the demand for inter-island connectivity in the Eastern Caribbean, and according to a statement issued by the Office of the Prime Minister, Liat 2020 will provide safe and reliable air transport services to passengers and cargo across the region and beyond. Airpeace, a little bit about them, is the largest privately owned airline in Africa. With a fleet of over 38 aircraft and over 3,000 employees serving markets in Africa, the Middle East, India, China, and Israel. In July 2020, the Antigua Barbuda government said Liat 2020 Limited, which replaced the cash strapped Liat in 1974, will benefit from an inv- initial investment of. U.S. 15 to 20 million dollars. Antiguan Barbuda Prime Minister Gaston Brown said previously that a decision had been taken that would allow Barbados and SVG to turn over their shares in Laird to St. John's for one EC dollar. Oh, by the way, um, what's his name? He's go- Gaston, the Prime Minister of Antiguan Barbuda. He's going to the coronation. Yes, folks. It's going to Westminster Abbey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Javette. We got to be a little bit more excited about it. 
<laughs> That's what he's about. <laughs> and coming up, uh, so, you know, South Africa is asking that the crown jewels be returned. The diamond in the crown jewels be returned to them. <laughs> Can, what are they going to replace it with? <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm loving it. Okay, so we're going to hop on over to Guyana for our next story. And Virginia is just in time for this one. Um, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> I don't know why I feel bad for these women. Lord, forgive me. Well, let me go ahead and get into it. So brothels operated by Venezuelan nationals destroyed. Story courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com. The Guyana Geology and Mines Commission, GGMC, demolished two brothels operated by a Venezuelan woman who was recently convicted of human trafficking. No, lady, you can't be doing that. The Minister of Home Affairs said the GGMCs destroyed the two brothels, which were located at Baracat Dam and Crusher Landing in Region 7 on Monday, in collaboration with the Ministerial Task Force on Trafficking in Persons. Mayalin Josefina Cordova was sentenced to six months in prison last week after she was convicted of operating a brothel in contravention of the Trafficking in Persons Act. Cordova was the third person convicted due to the efforts of the Ministerial Task Force on Trafficking in Persons. Cordova. That is, you can't be trafficking people. That is so wrong. If you're going to run a brothel, let women sign up on their own accord. Do not force women into that. Trust me. It's the oldest, um, what do you call it? <laughs> profession. It's the oldest profession in the world. You do not have to force anybody to do it. Not at all. Right? So shame on you for that. Do I believe you should have got more than six months? Yes. I do believe that. Because what you did was grossly wrong. All right? Okay. Next up. A man attempts to flee Kingston Airport with $12 million worth of cocaine. Story courtesy of Jamaica.loopnews.com. Are these people not learning? Do they not watch the news? They don't stay abreast of what's going on? Dumb and dumb and dumber we're getting. Anyway, let me get into this story. 48-year-old Alistair Christie was arrested after he was caught attempting to smuggle a quantity of cocaine through the Norman Manley International Airport in Kingston on Tuesday. He is of an Above Rocks St. Catherine address and Mississauga, an Ontario address in Canada. Reports from the police are that Christie checked in at the airport to board a flight to destined for Canada. However, during security procedures, several anomalies were detected and Christie attempted to flee the airport. He was accosted, searched, and during the search, the drug was reportedly found on him. He was taken into custody, the police said. The illicit drug has an estimated street value of $12 million. Following a question and answer session in the presence of his attorney, Christie was charged with possession of cocaine, dealing in cocaine, taking steps to export cocaine, and conspiracy to export cocaine. He is scheduled to appear before the Kingston and St. Andrew Parish Court on May 9. Also out of Jamaica, more than 1,000 people have criminal records expunged. Story courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com. Justice Minister Delroy Chuck says the criminal records rehabilitation of offenders 
Board has approved 1,200 applications for more than 2,000 people seeking to have their criminal records expunged. Chuck told Parliament that 2,322 applications had been received last year. When people apply, they expect that within days or weeks it will be expunged. That is not how it works. So let's get into what they're telling us. All right. So anyone listening who wants to have their record expunged, or if you know someone in Jamaica who wants to have their record expunged, please listen up. When persons apply, the first thing that is done is that a report has to be requested from the criminal records office. And because of the burden of the criminal records office, the likelihood of getting back the criminal record re- records report within six months is very unlikely, he said. So understand folks it's not going to happen within a 6 month time frame not at all okay so get that out your head not going to happen all right um however he told legislators that legislators rather that improvements have been realized from the criminal records office over the last few months and that the expungement of criminal records continues to be one of the most demanded services offered by the ministry of justice Expungement is an area that the Ministry of Justice comes under a lot of complaints and receives a lot of applications, noting that a submission will be made to Cabinet to look at the widening of the expungement jurisdiction. Chuck said following Cabinet's deliberation, it is hoped that a bill will be brought to Parliament in this fiscal year to widen the categories or to ensure that persons who have been rehabilitated can get their matters expunged. He did say that they refuse a lot of applications. Reason being, there are persons who have been found guilty for, of serious crimes, but they having served their sentence and having returned to the community, they um, have lived fairly upright lives. And because the third schedule is quite restrictive, they cannot get expungement from any of them. Uh, is Kalisha in here? No, she's not. I wanted to get an idea of what the third um, schedule is. Okay. I'll find out. I'll, I'll have to find out from someone else and for, and get that information for us. Um, they cannot get expungement. And many of them, even though they appeal to the minister, the minister is reluctant to grant any appe- appeal where the offense is of a serious nature, notwithstanding that they have been good, upright citizens for 10 or 15 years, he said. Expungement involves the formal removal of a conviction from an individual's criminal or police record after a specific period of time has elapsed and after certain requirements have been met. To qualify for expungement, the offense in question must be one that attracts a non-custodial sentence or sentence of imprisonment not exceeding five years, and that the person in question must also not have had any other convictions during a specific during a specified period of time referred to as the rehabilitation period. And I'll read that again. To qualify for expungement, and this is in Jamaica, the offense in question must be one that attracts a non-custodial sentence or sentence of imprisonment 
not exceeding five years, and that the person in question must also not have had any other convictions during a specified period of time referred to as the rehabilitation period. Offenses such as the import and export of narcotics, such as cocaine and marijuana, murder, rape, and some offenses under the Malicious Destruction of Property Act, including arson, cannot be expunged under the current law. Let me say that again. So anybody with any of these on them record, don't even bother waste your time. It's not going to happen. Again, offenses such as the import and export of narcotics, such as cocaine and marijuana, murder, rape, and some offenses under the Malicious Destruction of Property Act, including arson, cannot be expunged under the current law. I think we I, we got the answer there in terms of what the third schedule is then, right? I don't <laughs> I don't have to go bother anybody. Okay? All right. Um our next story. But you know what? At least 12 what is 1000 people so far will have the opportunity to go out and get jobs. Right? So I I am appreciative that this is being done for those folks who qualify. Right? They'll be able to move forward with their lives. Next up, no same-sex marriage to be sanctioned locally, says Delroy Chuck. Story courtesy of jamaica.loopnews.com. Justice Minister Delroy Chuck has moved to clear the air on the issue of same-sex marriage in Jamaica, declaring that the government does not and has no intention of supporting the practice. Chuck spoke to the issue on Tuesday during his contribution to the 2023-2024 sectoral debate in the House of Representatives, where he disclosed that there has been an increase in the number of applications for same-sex marriages, despite the fact that such unions are not recognized in Jamaica. He told the House that last year we issued 8,313 marriage licenses and we provided the Minister of Finance or the Tax Administration Jamaica with $33,252,000. We're doing well, but we do not mind more marriages so we can provide more money to the Minister of Finance. We enjoy when people come for their marriage license because it means that a family will be created, hopefully, or at least husband and wife. He also revealed that there has been an increasing number of marriage applications from the LGBTQ community, but he suggested that the government will not be taking any steps to legalize such unions on the island. And I quote his declaration, let it be clear, we do not support same-sex marriages as yet or ever. The truth of the matter is that people have been coming asking us for marriage license for same sex. This at the moment is not permissible. He said the justice ministry continues to provide ministers marriage license for walk-in applicants as well as those from hotels. The ministry is able to complete the process within 24 hours for the majority of walk-in applicants, he said. All right. So no same sex marriages in Jamaica. Not now, and he's saying possibly not ever. Go right ahead, Javet. 
He didn't say possibly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. You're right about that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. So next story. China donates natural disaster equipment to National Security Ministry. And this story is out of Trinidad and Tobago. Story courtesy of tt.loopnews.com. China has donated disaster management equipment to assist Trinidad and Tobago's National Security Ministry in its disaster management operations. In a statement, the ministry said National Security Minister Fitzgerald Hines was on hand to receive the equipment from Chinese ambassador to TNT, Fang Wei, or Fang Kui, I should say, sorry for butchering your name, Mr. Kui, at a handover ceremony on April 28. The ministry said the donated equipment comprised of 30 emergency tents, 10 standby generators, and five rescue boats, inclusive of engines, fuel containers, and 25 life jackets. Minister Hines noted that the donation will serve to boost the deployment capabilities of first responder agencies. So... Awesome. Thank you so much for that, China to TNT. All right. So going to play a little clip. And let me tell me who can relate to this. Growing up in a Caribbean household, but in America can be confusing as hell for a child. Because when I used to ask my parents what time it is as a child, they used to always say a quarter till or a quarter to. A quarter to what? I mean, all my American friends, they would say it's 245. But my parents, when I would ask them, they would say, a quarter till Russia and a quarter till, a quarter till what? My mom would say, look up and down before I cross the road. <laughs> and I literally thought it meant look up and down. One day she literally, um, um. so I literally used to look up and down. And then one day she told me, no idiot. Oh yeah, I do. don't look up and down. Look look up and down mean if you look left to right. And I was like, why didn't you just say look left to right? When I was in the second grade, I remember I asked the lunch lady for pepper and she gave me a packet of pepper. And I was like, no, I want pepper. And she was like, baby, what the hell are you talking about, sugar? You say you want a pepper. And I was like, yeah, I want pepper. This isn't pepper. And she was like, yes, it is. That is pepper. And I ended up pointing to hot sauce and she was like, but you say you want a pepper. And I was like, yeah, it's the same thing, right? And she was like, no, baby, this is pepper and this is hot sauce. And I was so confused because I was like, oh, I thought pepper was pepper. Am I the only Caribbean kid who grew up? So, did any, has anybody ever experienced that? Wait, wait, there's a difference between pepper and hot sauce. For the Americans, for the Americans, there is a difference, right. Alex. Man, get it like the hot sauce is like the liquid thing. Yeah, but get that. So it's still pepper. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, I get it. <laughs> who can think of another one? There, I'm sure there are other things that, uh, for example, for us, conflicts. Everything is conflicts, no matter the brand, no matter the, no matter the tea. 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 You know how we. Chocolate is tea in the Caribbean. Okay, glad you said that one, Javed. So talking to my mom, not yesterday, day before. So I was like, Mommy, you remember when we would be going be going to Kingston? And as you get to the bottom of the hill, um, right as you're to get into Uaton. So you, you have descended. I don't know if that, that side is Mount Russell or Mount Diablo. I don't know. Don't care. But <clears throat> excuse me, at the base. And right before you take the corner to go on the stretch to get into Uaton, 
there is a little shop and on the, the um, piece of wood, they have painted, stop for your tea, get your coffee tea, Milo tea, Horlicks tea, mint tea, <laughs> and I'll never forget it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Tea. So everything is tea. Alex, I didn't get to hear you clearly. What were you saying? Teddy bear? Teddy bear. Teddy bear. Yes. No matter the stuff animal, could I want elephant or teddy bear? <laughs> okay what else there's another one there, there, of course I, I, I just mentioned cereal um they have a name for soap uh you know wash for washing your laundry oh my gosh there's just one name that they use they don't care the oh, brand fab, fab. yes fab. <laughs> fab everything is fab pass the fab pass the give me the fab oh my gosh what's another one that's another one. Come on, folks. Y'all from the Caribbean. Y'all know the words that no matter what it is, I just that it name. What about porridge? Porridge. What about porridge? You have different types. They're not breaking it down. They're not saying oatmeal, banana, plantain, cornmeal. Just porridge. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you just take what you get. You know which porridge I don't like? I eat it but i don't like it cornmeal don't like it mm. oh honestly, man honestly only certain people can make it yo i know everybody can make cornmeal porridge good true that is true i make mine with coconut milk like, everybody else loves it but i don't i don't like cornmeal porridge i'm sorry go ahead Ale no 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 go ahead alex go right ahead i was saying that i met a lot of people that said they don't like cornmeal porridge until they try my mom's cornmeal porridge and then just fall in love with it till them don't eat not for my other coming porridge unless I'm a mother own. How does she make hers? Do you know the secret recipe? I'm not a cooker. <laughs> you just a eat. You just eat yeah. the food. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. But um, I plantain porridge, love it. I don't like oatmeal porridge either. I'm not a fan of it. I have it, but I'm not a fan of it. But cornmeal. I'm sorry, plantain, peanut, and um banana like hey, those how many corn porridge i don't like it don't how many corn porridge don't like it that's that is the best porridge out there how mm -mm. many corn porridge mm -mm. y'all can keep that one no no better than that mm -mm. and which other one you said rosolo bulga can you hear me Volga, listen yeah, let yeah. me tell you something good. okay can i, can I the week apart. can i confess something what some things for I me, I just look as dog food. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to mute my mouth. <laughs> I don't know if it's how it looks. I don't know. No, but bulgur porridge is nice. Let me get my headset on. Bulgur porridge is nice. The only food I'm going to would I consider dog food is punkah meal. Definitely. I eat that mess. Places, that's a delicacy. Not eating. <laughs> what? It's a delicacy mm -hmm. in some countries. What are you talking about? That's Antiguan's national dish. Turn corn meal? Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. They call it fungi. We call it fungi. Yes. Yes. And they make it with all spinach and everything. And I remember yes. someone offered with to Oprah. me at work and I said, I am not eating no dog food. I didn't even <laughs> say it like that. <laughs> Rosolo knows. Rosolo wow. knows. Yeah, we used to feed our dogs um yeah, turn man. cornmeal with chicken back. So yeah, that's that's like some fancy food for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's not 
The first time I had turned cornmeal was in this country. I remember we were at the barber shop. Barber shop with um so was there and you know it's the barber shop that Martin has been going to forever. So his barber said, "Try it, man. Try it." The guy came by. A rasta man came by with the. It was turned cornmeal with gungo peas in it. And uh, yeah, he had gungo peas in it. And he served it with snapper. So I'm like, all right. Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. It had a nice flavor, but after one spoon, I could not go anymore. I couldn't. I was like, this is dog food. Sorry. The rest of my look up there. Why are you my dog food? How did you be okay? I come from? You say, yeah, still dog food. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I didn't know it was a. You've done, you've done messed up a whole antique country. I'm just going to. <laughs> I'm right so now. sorry. We need to move on. We need to move on. Okay? I'm so sorry. That's I did not know. When I say that's our national dish, okay? Fungi and saltfish? Really? Wow. Sorry. Move on. Sorry. Move on. We're sorry. We're so sorry. We're sorry. I'm sorry. I feel I so bad. To say good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay, so we're not. Hold on now. No, no, no. I'm not going to move on yet, Javet, because look in the chat. I'm learning new names for it. So I know in Italy they call it polenta, right? But there's no yeah, lump they call it lumpy. Right. Yes. All right. In Barbados, Virginia says. They call it cuckoo. Geely says in St. Croix, they call it cuckoo. In Africa as well. Cuckoo in Africa, okay. But they use the white cornmeal. The most cuckoo for you, don't you? Not cuckoo, fufu. I'm bugging out. Oh, it's fufu. Fufu in Africa. But fufu in Africa, Javette, can be made with plantain or potato or yams or. You can use different things to make fufu, right? I've only had it with the the white cornmeal. Okay. Maybe maybe it? it was mixed in with it. Isn't oh. fufu like a dough type thing? It looks like dough. Yeah, it does like look a like soft dough. dough. Yeah, it looks that way. Mm. All right, interesting. But you see, it's good. To, no, I didn't mind this segment. You know what we learn what it is in other places right for example another thing bake bake in to me is um fried dumpling that you just roll flat and fry. yes yeah and then you slice it open no that's different there's different type of bake what? depending on where you're from trinidad bake is a um they do bake they do that bake with the saltfish as well but then they do remember that used to do the bake like a bread in the pan I know I, I never had the way your dad did yeah, it. Yeah, he, he it was almost like a sourdough dough bread in the pan that he did his bake. It was delicious. Oh my god! I know. He most cook. people, it's when they yeah he could cook. He yeah, could he cook. cook. Oh, real though. Oh god. Yeah. Oh, real quick, I just want to say good morning to everyone. I want to say thank you for all the love and blessings yesterday. I really appreciate y'all. Just to say that real quick. Those who know, thank you. Is is baby girl okay? Baby girl is much braver than me. Tell you the truth, she's just. She's a, she's a, um, she's a, she's a, a gangster. She, when I called her that when everything was over, I asked her, you know, I, I'm going to come get you. She's like, no, mom, I have a math final and I'm not making it up. Okay. No problem. I'll see you when you get home. 
and she stayed and took her math final. Apparently, it was a fight between two kids. The first kid stopped, stabbed the boy, and then the boy shot him. But why are kids taking guns to school? And uh, mm, mm. Didn't Marlon say it yesterday, we don't know how to fight anymore? Yep. We don't know how to fight without kids? I'm sorry, Alex. Go ahead. We didn't hear you. I'm saying because of bullying, like, just like, oh, grown people want to feel like them tough. School, you want to feel like them tough, too. School, you get bullied, bullied, too, so them want to defend themselves because them get bullied or them get embarrassed by a fellow student. Mm-hmm. I just see there's a lot of factors involved why they would have bring guns to school. Okay. Yeah. But shouldn't we be teaching? So how are these school, these high schoolers getting their hands on guns? Now, what are we as parents doing? At what point do you stop searching your kids' bags? At what age? At what point? And age never. Age never. Thank you. You live in my age house. Never. It's a never-ending story. It's my bag. It's my bag. It's my, I mean, I, I'm going to give them their privacy, but... See, I don't have to search my children's bag because I know my I trust I, I know them. You know what I mean? They're not gonna. But some parents, you know your child. You need to check the bag every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know your child, but you want to ignore it. Yep, I agree. Um, How does a child get a gun to bring it to school? Parents. Most of, yep. Most exactly. times, parents we have guns at home. Our family member, our friend. Yeah. Them can't go right. <laughs> so. We need to do a better job as parents. We really need to do a better job as parents. And in talking about that, um, not to go too far off on a tangent, but this morning dropping my two younger boys off at school, I forgot the conversation that was I was listening to on the radio, but I can remember that we have a problem in this country. And I think it was yesterday we spoke about the literacy rate in this country, right? And we spoke about history and civics and we played the clip courtesy of NPR. Well, the tail end of the conversation um, that I heard on the station this morning is children not being able to read. So I turned to my sons. um, One is in the 12th grade, one is in the 11th grade. And I said, consider yourselves very fortunate I hope you can look back and appreciate the days when they started school in Jamaica. After, you know, they get home. My mom would do homework with them, <clears throat> excuse me, and did, do some reading. When they came back up to the States, between myself and my husband, they it was Monday to Thursday, no TV during the week, unless you are watching possibly Jeopardy or... Um, wheel of fortune they used to love wheel of fortune um it was before they would go outside and play we had to get work done right get some homework done do some spelling if there was no homework there was reading so they would sit and read and not just read to make sure they can read the words but reading to understand comprehension so i said to them um i know you guys didn't like it when we used to take you to the library to get books where you'd have to take a couple books, read the books and write a book report, right? Not anything long, but a summary. So we could under make sure you understood what you were reading. 
I say, appreciate that. And I said, do you know that there are kids in high school who can't read? And they both said yes. And I said, the system, and I, I quickly blurted out, well, the system has failed them. And then I realized I can't blame the system alone. And when I say the system has failed them, it has failed them in the sense that they're moving them up through the grades without seeing to it that they have the fundamentals. And I said, you know what? I can't blame the system alone. The parents have to bear some of that responsibility. Because parents are not choosing to sit with children even for 30 minutes. And I understand let me tell you, I understand the, the constraints because schedules differ. Some parents have to be at work while children are home from school. I get it. But what about those times when you do have the time? While you're cooking, let them sit at the table and read to you. While you're doing laundry and folding, let them be there with you. If you have to go to a laundromat, take them with you. Let them take a book with you. Read to you. We, we can't make excuses because then what happens is this ignoring of the situation only further gravens the situation. And what happens when they get older? They become frustrated adults because they lack the ability to interpret. They're hearing, but they're not truly listening, right? They're reading, but they're not able to interpret or comprehend basics it frustrates them and what happens when you get frustrated you get angry and i said to them when you you can tie that also into emotional intelligence because the truth is and i've said i made sure to point this out to them i said not in all cases but you stand a better chance of being able to rationalize when you're able to interpret and comprehend and reason. And those things are gained through reading and being able to have reasonable conversation. I know someone opened their mic. Please go right ahead. It was me. Go ahead, Chuck. Um, yeah. I feel... I feel for these children. Like, I knew when I was in in fifth and sixth grade that there were people that had issues reading and when I was younger I would try to help them on the low because they're embarrassed to even say anything but the other thing I wanted to say was my mother came to this country with no education and all those things that you had your children doing my mother did mm -hmm. and let me tell you my mother didn't know what i was reading if i was smart back then i would have made up stuff but i actually sat there and read the books and then did a summary or told her the summary of the book she didn't really know so I, as parents to for me there's no excuse and if you're ashamed, I do feel that there's places that you can go to get help for your children. Mm -hmm. Even the child's teacher, you can maybe ask the child's teacher, can you sit with him for half an hour or an hour after school 
or can we meet somewhere on the weekend? I know you're overwhelmed, but I want my child to have a chance. You know, that that is just so sad. That is so sad. Yeah. Like, yeah, if we didn't even have perfect career, yeah, but like, you have keeping cancer as a hills. You have a lot of parents out there who none of sense. As I say, your mother, when she comes to America, she never really have it like that. Or other parents know them not have sense. Fever think rationally, like, oh, we are thinking, I say, oh, take measures for your child. Them parents are growing up in a them same situation. Them just repeat what them say them parents do. Because them never get educated enough for even make a change or go out and seek more knowledge for even improve their child's life. And then, as I say, yo, yeah, the teacher them have overwhelming because some classes, yo, have over 30 pitney and each parent probably want them, the teacher sit down with each individual child. So, yeah, that can be very overwhelming. You know, I'm glad you brought up the number of children, the ratio, student to teacher ratio, um, Alex, because it leads to another conversation. Here we are going down the tributaries, right? But. It leads to another conversation, and this is where I have issues when it comes to the census, right? One of the, the, the reasons for taking a census is to see how funding can be allocated. Am I right or am I wrong? Is that one of the reasons? So that they know where to pump yes, yes, funds? One right, reasons, yeah. one of the reasons. So if the, a census is done and there is the recognition of a need when it comes to education within certain communities, why isn't more funding going into those communities instead of less funding? So I, for, I'm sorry, I do not buy the idea that uh, and what they promote that it is to ensure that funding gets into certain communities. I don't think so. Because if that were the case, children in communities with parents who are not as fortunate would have a better chance. So my response to that is like, most if you live in a community A, right, and me live in community B, you pay a whole bunch of taxes and I don't pay that much. But you realize that I'm taking your tax money given to my school district so your child is not getting as enough. You would get, you'll be upset, right? Here is what I look, um, I wouldn't say I'd be upset. You know what I would propose to them? Equal, let us make it equal across the board. Divvy up the funds equally so that everybody has the same opportunity. No, everybody not going to agree with that. I know yeah. that. because You know why? <laughs> because of our mindset, um, Alex, unfortunately. Go right ahead, uh, Donnell. Good morning, all. President Donald, why? folks, good morning. <laughs> why do we even have to get into the comparison as to who tax dollars pay for what? Because that's what they do with a lot of these issues. They put us against each other. Oh, I pay taxes, my student, my child need more. No. Children need to be educated properly. Children need a strong foundation. We have to put processes in place to ensure every child has the same opportunity. Right. It doesn't matter where the tax dollars come from because when there is a security threat in Alaska, we don't say, oh, most of the funding come from New York and California. So why do we have to marginalize our children like that? Why that is even in the conversation? 
Hence the problem. Forget about districts and whatever. Find a way to get the funding to put every school up to a minimum level that every child has an opportunity to reasonably succeed. Full stop. Yeah. So, so, wait, so you're telling me that I'm paying so much in, I'm working so hard to provide for my family and because of our next committee does have low low passing grades and anything they go so make my child be at a disadvantage for that because for make equality it's I'm doing as I'm doing as much as I can for push my child forward. I see what you're saying, um Alex, but at the same time, let let us be reasonable, right? Everybody is not going to be able to afford to buy a home and pay a reasonable amount of um, property taxes, right? Because people work at different levels and different levels um, incur different income. Am I making sense? So I am making $35,000 a year. Donald is making $100,000 a year. I'm doing the best that I can. Shouldn't I also want the best for my child? I go to work. I put it in. I pay my taxes just the same for what I can afford to pay. So my child should not be penalized because I'm not at a certain income bracket. Because that's, the, in, in essence, that's what we're saying. We're going to continue to suppress those who can't afford it. I do believe that if we truly care about people, we will be okay with divvying it up across the board, right? So because I make 100000 I pay more taxes, my child should get a better level of education than your child because you make 35000 and you pay less taxes. That is going to further create inequality in the world. I think for us to level the playing field and give everyone... A, a fair chance we have to be a little more compassionate this is my opinion i think we have to be a little mo bit more compassionate let us take say for example then let's use medic medical um available medic the medical industry as a, an example for example a hospital in an area where everybody makes a hundred thousand dollars versus a hospital in an area where everybody makes thirty five thousand dollars we're going to penalize the, we're going to penalize those who make less and say well you're not going to get the same or you you are not entitled to the same level of health care because you don't make a hundred thousand dollars and unfortunately that is what is going on go right ahead donald i'm sorry my thing is i don't even think my child or anybody else's child should be judged based on my capacity to earn if my capacity to earn, there are other avenues I could use to help my child on an individual basis. I'm saying every child should have that equitable opportunity right. to be the best they can be. Another thing is, if, I'm running, if you're running the country and you're saying that your human resource is the most valuable resource in the country, no matter how you flip it, right? If your human resource is the most valuable resource in the country, it is incumbent on you to ensure that you develop those that resource from an early an age as possible so that you'll be able to maximize on the potential of that resource by preparing every child regardless of where they come from adequately it gives you a bigger pool of people to choose from when it comes to every expertise and every 
box of life a couple of years because it's an investment into the future. It's an investment into the country. Right. If we start to see that is my district, your district, my child, your child, then we would not put together an approach that would be beneficial to all. Because the same people who are from the poor families, when they get a proper education and are able to develop properly, they are some of the, the major earners tomorrow. Then the same money that we give to them, we will take back from tax. Because when they start to earn later in life, guess what? We have a bigger taxing pool. We have a more educated taxing pool. We have a more technically diverse taxing pool. Yep. So it depends on how we look at it. So I'm not looking at it in districts. I'm looking at it the human resource, the most valuable resource. The earlier you develop that resource, the more you can get out of it, the more you can maximize everything that relates to that resource. And if you have a pool of kids that is across the board being educated properly and being prepared properly for life on a whole, then by natural deduction, your country has a bright future. Mm -hmm. To me, it's that simple. To us, it's that simple, Donald. But the government is not going to buy that. They're not going to buy into that because it is go. It is going to um, ruffle feathers and go against their agenda. But Empress put something in the chat: property taxes, city and county taxes depends on how much they get in each district locally. And I'm glad you broke that down, Empress, because um, here is how I look at it now when it comes to the census. So you do your, you take up your census, you recognize where the need is. And under, and this is how I'm going to tie in what Alex is proposing. And I respect Alex's point of view. You work hard, you, 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 you get your money, you get your credit to move into a certain neighborhood because you want your children to have a better opportunity. Fair enough. All right. So we will use the property taxes, city and county taxes accordingly. They will be distributed as normal. Now the federal needs to step in and pick up the slack for the less for the um the lower income communities or the incomes where there is less opportunity and fund the schools. Is that a fairer move, Alex? You would say? So that yeah, fair because if me I spent so much money on school fee and if a final some my child is being things are not being provided for my child, would I upset? Would I, would I go in front of the parliament and justice some of you want justice? So but then... then I, do, I do not, well, then again, when I understand something, I do not have a child and I'm just 24, so <laughs> probably, mind, probably mindset changing in the future. Yeah. <laughs> right, so I see the fair balance, This and this is how we strike the balance, right? We continue business as normal, put the funding, where, as I just explained, keep it as is, and then where there's a shortfall... It is incumbent upon the federal government to step in and level up the playing field so that the children in the lower income communities, the disadvantaged ones, will have a better opportunity because they're going to pump money there to raise the level and make it equal with others, with the other um, children. I think that's reasonable, per se. Go, I think someone else yeah. opened their mic. Yeah. Go right ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to jump in and say, uh, several things. Number one, I'm a fan of school choice, right? Where you just give every parent a voucher for each individual child and they can choose what school the child goes to. Number one, we say children don't all learn the same. So why would you have them all in the same school where the teaching <laughs> style is going to be one? You can't have one school just have multiple teaching styles. So why not have, let the parents have a choice of what school their kid wants to go to. And then you align those public schools. If we're talking about the public school system, or even if you go, uh, even if they choose you for a private school, 
why not just align that with what best works to help their kid learn the best? Because a lot of kids fall back behind in school because the school teaches in one way and it doesn't, it's not going to effectively work with them. And if you have 80% of the kids like this and 20% of the kids in these various other realms, they need somewhere to learn. A second thing I want to say is about the financial part of it. In California, we pay a high percentage of our tax dollars uh, towards school. In fact, around 2012, we passed a statewide referendum which was uh, to increase uh, uh, a buku amount of money, right, to go toward K-12 education and the university, right? The problem is, and this is one of the things that happens in California, is that where does the money go, right? See, we raise a lot of money, but we never talk about how the money is being spent, how the money is being used. And so what often happens is all these other departments that have nothing to do with education start coming in and, and putting their hands out saying, I want some of that, some of that tax revenue that's been raised because they put money into a general fund, right, right, right? They didn't say it was specifically going here. Some of it could go there. So we would say, okay, that, that you would say in cities like Oakland or, you know, uh, uh, they'd say, okay, well, they've increased the amount of funding, but they're still closing schools down. What happened with the money? Because it's going to pension plans, right? They didn't tell you that they're raising money for people's pensions, not actually to put more money into schools, you know, to, uh, uh, to help educate people. So we have also a problem with how money is being uh, in California Money is raised, a lot of revenue is raised, but how it's spent, nobody is seeing any kind of improvements to the things that are supposed to be improved. So there's a lot, there's a lot of auditing that needs to be done about how money is being spent uh, and how that's being used and, uh, and, you know, and, and how that's happening. Because without school choice to me, right, you're going to keep people who are in poor conditions constantly in that condition, and they're still going to be struggling. The last thing I want to say is we hear discussions about why there isn't enough diversity at this university or this school or why, you know, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we had a thing here in San Francisco where Lowell High School is considered one of the most competitive high schools to get in and you must test in. And there were uh, members of the school board at, in a few years ago who wanted to get rid of the testing because they said, well, there's not enough, okay, black kids in the school. There's not enough that. And a lot of times what I've noticed in some of these school districts is when you talk about moving people up, and I was specifically want to focus on black people, they kind of create a crutch where it's like you're not really trying to work to teach these kids to get them up to speed so they can compete. You know, like I always use the example, if your kid was playing basketball, grade school, or sports, the, the, the coach is not going to just say, well, you know what, we're going to let Susie Q or Bobby Joe, you know, you know, just do whatever they do, right? We're just going to treat them like that. No, they would try to make sure that they were the best shooters, the best dribblers in there. They're not doing that. So they're just passing a lot of kids along, particularly black kids and even Latino kids. They're just passing them along and then saying, let's just change the rules for how you get into a certain institution to accommodate the fact that from the household to the school system, that they haven't really done the proper job of trying to educate their kids so they can compete, right? And so then those kids feel more marginalized. They feel more discriminated against because they're not even being properly prepared to even be able to just try to compete. So I think we need to focus more, a lot more energy on instead of trying to fiddle with the education system and say, well, you know, we shouldn't care about X, Y, or Z, which I think some of these things we still should care about. We should focus more on how do we bring more children up to the level so they can compete in the same way you would in a sport, right? We don't skimp on sports, so why do we skimp on education? Mm. Um, real quick, Lambert, forget said this one, but you forget, Mufisa, like the school system should change. The way them go about teaching children should change. As things are so like every child learns differently. So they need to take this more into consideration and understand so what kind of system can put in place that you can 
better if have a better effect on people who learn different kids will learn different right right all right thank you alex thank you uh donald thank you david for your voice on the conversation and in the chat uh thank you dre thank you empress um yeah 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 yeah. we have work to do we have work to do um yesterday i asked the question did we get did i i know somebody i think put it in a chat what was the answer where the u.s ranks in literacy globally we're not number one for first world country no we're not we're not literacy america is not even in top five okay yeah like kind of low probably 30 something okay me i probably just that's just random numbers i wouldn't be surprised if we're at the bottom honestly no we're not america is not the, the last we're not that bad we're not that bad but we're not where we should be and i want to tell you this i wonder if y'all notice that the children who do better in this country are children from immigrant households yes i noticed that i noticed that and if you look at harvard Harvard showed that Nigerians do better than all groups, right? Yep. In terms of getting their missions in there, right? Right. Right. So the so if, you know you look at that, you say we should be, you know, for those New Yorkers, right? You know, I was against the I'm not from New York, but I was against the idea that they were going to change the testing into select high schools, right? Right. Just because they wanted to even up the numbers, because I said they have programs out there in New York for poor people for free, right? To help your kid pre-prepare. A lot of parents, for whatever reason particularly the parents of some of the people who might be complaining the most weren't taking advantage of those programs. So it's free programs in their neighborhood, in their communities, right? You know, as somebody said, it's your responsibility. It just so happened that a lot of the Asian parents, you know, who are poor on government assistance too, were making sure their kids got to those programs every night, right? right? To spend time there. And therefore more of them were able to test in because a lot of those kids were poor, were able to test into these schools, which can give you a great starting point, you know, for getting in some, some of the, I guess the best university. So I want to add that. Yeah, thank you for adding that. So in the chat, Dre put Google says US, the United States of America. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ranks one hundred and twenty-fifth in the world. Now we see why we have so many damn mass shootings. People ain't got no damn sense. Out of how many what is it? Countries? State? What is it? Countries? <laughs> Javette, don't even ask um, because yeah. that way was... I didn't, I didn't want to know how many countries because 125th is just bad enough as it stands. Right, but you know, but that's how you're not falling at top five. But you know, say that body or judge <laughs> But you know, say low, but not that low. <sighs> that, that's a lot. USA does not rank number one in education. We can't do yeah, Google is not a credible source. Google says, but it's just a bit research. <laughs> Dre, tell Google for going with that because not not go so. <laughs> nah, look it up yourself. In, in, in literacy, they're one twenty fifth, but in education, I guess the education system. I guess I don't know. Probably the education system. Probably the education system is number one, right? But when it, it but something is amiss. There is something is not connecting. Yeah, that's what I said. Something is strange. Something not added up. Yeah. 
195 countries in the world and we rank 125th in literacy. You know, so, so, something around. We are more focused on Jordans and and having the latest this and the latest that pound with Pitney like we're sending our children to school for fashion show. Moments. Okay, come well, to the point where. Hold on. Go ahead, Donald. Go ahead. You could come to the point where we, they may have good institutions and good structures in place, but it's the same point that um, the gentleman was David was making earlier. There are so much disparities, and there is so much we're not taking advantage of those structures. So you could have a really good education system. You understand, but if you don't have people going through that system properly, if you don't have students being being able to access that system and it's limited to to restricted groups and so on what you find happening is that you're missing most of the people that it should it should it should attract so that could be one of the disparities true yes because when you look at the chart it says us number one in edu um education uk number two canada number three no germany number three then canada but when it comes to literacy um literacy is all um, the, the, the top 10 is all um, Eastern European countries. So none of those five, none of those four countries are called is in the top 10 when it comes to literacy. Thank, thank you, Dre. So go ahead, go ahead. System in place, but We're not using it effect effectively. Using it. So you know what? And here's, here's the disturbing thing. Parents are complaining about the amount of time their children are spending on TikTok. Do you know that on YouTube... You can do lessons on YouTube. People are teaching for free on YouTube. So adults who are embarrassed to sign up at community colleges because community colleges do offer evening programs where you can go and um, learn. I, I remember when my mother was going to University of Miami in the evening, she would teach the Cubans to, um, English and she was teaching them the fundamentals the, from the ground up so that they could have a proper grasp of the language. Right. So they offer these at colleges, at universities in community centers where you can go. Some of them are for free. You can if you are an adult who is not where you think you should be. You can get help. If you don't want to go into a classroom setting, well, guess what? You can go online. Even on very TikTok, I have been scrolling through TikTok and people are having lives where they're teaching algebra, geometry, um, trigonometry. There are people there doing, um, helping to prepare people to take CNA, um, get their CNA certification. There are people there teaching um, English, basic English. So we have this information available to us. Why then aren't we as parents, since we don't have the time for sit down with we Pitney, why don't we say, okay, go to this person, go to that person, watch that feed and learn something. We don't have any excuses. So you know something? We are the ones who are failing to take up the opportunities that are made available to us in every way, shape, or form. So what else we must do? Um, and, you know, I was here thinking, I don't have the patience to teach. Come here with me, 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 me go to jail. I don't have the patience for that. Um, but if someone has the patience, has the time, and is willing to do so, probably start something right here on Clubhouse to help children after work, after school work, something. 
email them mm -hmm. something to read and then they we, we gather here and you know we help them i don't know go right ahead donald as a willing parent as a willing parent your child would never be underfed when it comes to education so 90 percent of the time when you see children in those situations is because the parents are not willing because whether you could do it yourself or not you would find there is enough resources around to utilize to ensure i think even like ben carson mother could not read and write and she ensured that they read they go to the library do the same things you are speaking about mm -hmm. that you you was doing with your kids and stuff like that so it's not like there you know, there is enough that you can utilize the same phones this, there is so much avenues but most of the time as somebody made earlier it comes from the parents most of the time because i can't have no illiterate child in my house period i'll be damned if there's an illiterate child in my house i would have nobody to blame but myself that would be my fault We have to, we, we, the parents, relatives, friends, we are going to have to do something. You know, the other day when Peter, um, Dre, when Peter was in the room the other day and we were having the conversation. Oh, Virginia says there's more than one room like ESL on Clubhouse. I don't even know, Virginia. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Um, ESL. English as a second language. But do they have other rooms? Um, not ESL, but where they're teaching English-speaking people how to properly construct sentences. Do they have that? Yes, they do. Okay, so we need to find them. And we can only share, share the information. That's the, that's the best we can do, share the information. But I remember the other day when Peter came in the room, Peter Gracie was in the room, and he made mention that, you know, probably, not his exact words, but I'm just summing up, probably if we were forcing our children into certain things like the Asians and the Indians do, we would be better off in the States. We are, we are here saying, oh, let them decide, let them choose. And it's, at the end of the day, we're self-inflicting. And I have to now think there is some truth to that. Yes, and I, can I say this in response? To yes, that? David, please go yeah, right ahead. Yeah. In response to that, we're trying to punish many of the Asians, you know, and the Indians and people because they seem to be doing so well academically. Oh, you do it too well. We don't want you to go to this school, right? 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 Give somebody else a chair. Well, I thought it was like this is what I say. Nobody would say if their kids were playing sports, right? That, that you know, did you just let somebody else get ahead just because you know you think somebody else is doing too well? No, if you're doing the best, if you're the best basketball player, the best football player, the best track runner, we would say you should get rewarded. And now what we're saying is, if you're doing too well academically, you need to stand back because these other kids aren't doing that well, and somehow. Uh, by standing back, that's going to somehow lift them up. Instead, we, I, like I always say, we need to figure out how to bring those other kids up. My mom was an educator, right? She taught K through 12, and then she taught early childhood development uh, at a university setting. And at our church, um, I attended. She ran a tutoring program, uh, you know, for kids from low-income families, right? Uh, girls and boys, 
because she wanted to help bring their education level up because she didn't feel that these public school systems, at least, and uh, we don't live in Oakland, but that was where our church was. She didn't feel the system there was doing anything to help those kids, right? They were just passing them along. She said, nope, I'm going to make sure that they actually know how to read a word, right? They, they can read a book, right? You know, they can count. They can actually, you know, be able to kind of expand themselves that, that you need that kind of uh, firmness, right? Toughness, right? You know, uh, what is it? Discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm, right? To push people forward uh, uh, and to push people ahead. And, and she found, my mother found, like that was what was important. And this is not a lot of what the schools are doing. Like, like you said, they're just they're treating the kids like they're like they're disabled and just saying, well, you know, we got to give, you know, Daytuan a C, even though he didn't earn the C, right? Because, well, we just want to make him feel better about himself, right? right? You know, so we're just going to pass him on along knowing he's not going to have the opportunity or chance to really make something of himself in life, right? Unless somebody catches him at some point. And, and there you go. Now you got the next person on the street, right? asking you to give up your wallet or break it in your car because we didn't take the proper time that we could have to really make sure that that young kid got the education that he or she needs, right? So that plays into it as well. You know, you said something which triggered <laughs> my memory. Another part of the conversation that was that I heard on the radio this morning. As a matter of fact, this was what I, when I turned on the car, this was what I heard. The first thing I heard, two plus two equals seven don't argue with the child so the host of the program said what yeah teachers are being told if a child tells you two plus two is four let them have it and that is how the conversation started and i i, I turned to my boys and i'm like how can two plus two equal four so <laughs> The one sitting in the front with me says, mommy, I don't know. The one in the back says, mommy, what they say is um, reverse. He was trying to break it down to me. So they are further dumbing down these children intention. I'm like, where do you get that from? He saw it online. Do you mean seven? Because he keeps saying four. Seven. Two plus two okay, is equals seven. Sorry. Yeah. And I'm like, how does two plus two equal seven in what earth? If I have two things and I take two more and put beside those two things, how many things will I see in front of me? I'm not going to see seven. I'm going to see four. But they're telling the children, you made the mistake. It's still okay. When children are doing English in school, they're not correcting the spelling. I remember when I was going to school, you spell a word wrong, you had to do the correct spelling. You're losing points for that. They don't care about the spelling as long as you can express yourself. How somebody explained to me how two plus two equals seven. Sorry, thank you for correcting me, Sonnet. You see, when you know what's right. <laughs> You can't even switch to what's wrong. How do you get two plus two to equal seven? That's what I need an answer to. I don't know. Maybe it's a type of, it's a new math or something. <laughs> Talk about the new math, Sonnet. Morning, Afro, my apologies. Talk about the new math, Sonnet. Remember our math to the point, right? The yeah, math they're I, teaching I them now? Sorry. So my, my kid's school teaches, um, it's called, so remember again, it's a French school, so it's called Singapore Math, because it's it's a whole long story how they got to it and named it Singapore Math. Um, but it at first I was a little 
opposed to it. Like, okay, we I when the kid comes home with homework and I want to show her, okay, do it this way and get the answer. It because she's being taught something else in school, it was different. So we had a meeting with a teacher because that's if you're interested, the teachers will make themselves available mm-hmm. most times, people. So we had a meeting with the teacher, I'm like, okay, could you please explain to me this Singapore math? And she showed, she sent us videos, and then we said, okay, let's sit down. And we sat together, and she showed it. I'm like, okay, I get it now. So, like, times table. Not, forget the times table. You're multiplying something. Um, one, is it integer? One, I forget. One number times three different numbers. So, seven times 639. First, you do multiply seven times nine, then seven times 30, then seven times 600. Add that all together, you'll still get the right answer. It's not the way we learned, but you still get the right answer. I would have to say it again for y'all to completely understand. I get it. To show you, but it's not. It's not just. It's not just seven times nine, seven times three, seven times six. It's seven times nine, seven times thirty, seven times six hundred. Add it all together, got the right answer. And you know, you do it the way you learn it in school, as we all did, because we're all somewhat around the same age group. Right. It was. You don't even think about it anymore. But when looking at the Singapore method, I don't know what to call it in, in the American school system. I'm sorry, it's called it Singapore in um, the different school system that we, she's using. That's where you, you got the answers. So I'm not going to beat up the math. Just we have to. We have to learn what they're learning and not be so just stone-headed that, okay, we they have to do it the way we do it. Because you're going to cause confusion in a child's life. Just do it the way they learn. I, I see what you're saying, Sunette. I have tried to do learn it their way, and I'm not gonna lie. I'm I end up confused because I'm like, this is taking too long. I and here's the thing. <laughs> I don't know if it has ever happened to any of you. You'll ask your kids to calculate something real quick, and they have to draw for a calculator. That don't make no sense. There are certain things they should be able to calculate in off the top of their head. And for me, it's because of what we were taught. And um, I don't want to confuse them. I really don't. I have tried to understand it, Sunet, some of this. And I see the thing. I see the videos on TikTok, too. Some of them make sense. Some of them like, uh, uh-uh, that's too much. You make, you're taking it way around the mountain like Moses did with the Israelites. Took taking 40 years to get to the destination when you could get there in five days. Uh-uh. L- let's hurry this up. But that's what the teachers said I want. And here's the funny thing. Some of the teachers can't even explain it properly. The new math. And that's disturbing for me. That's disturbing for me. Children, math, it has always been a problem globally. But, okay, let us say that type of math, son, it is, supposed, is it supposed to make it easier for them to understand it's to help them think through problems better. So no number should stop them. They see a number, a 10 digit number, they still know they have to go by the tens, the twenty, the um, the tens, the hundreds, the thousands, whatever, you know, the, the going up the scale, they have to multiply it by that. I can't even have the language anymore for, for math classes because I haven't taken it in such a long time. But you know, when you see it, it's just so standard in your head. That's what they teach them, how to make it standard in their head, how to look at it and say, you're not going to multiply it by um, by six and seven. You're doing multiplying it by 60 
and seven. It's 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 complicated, but they're they're getting it, and the kids are just like, okay, they see the math problem, and they start doing it. It does take more time. Wow. I, I it absolutely does take more time. Just I saw your comment saying just what that um, Saint two, just say? He says two plus two equals seven. How do you get that? Two singers plus two singers equals seven albums. <laughs> but that that was a good one. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh my gosh. Lord help me. Color me slow. I thought I was smart enough. I thought I could, you know, but I guess I'm not. I guess I'm not. It is what it is. Yes, Annette. We're going to have, we all, I think all of us as parents <laughs> need to go back to school because so we can learn, so we can help them with their math, right? No, seriously. Talk to your teachers. They, they, we're all involved in educating these children. So we should have some sort of um, synergy or um, some sort of communication skills together to figure it out. And if they can't explain it to you as a parent, how are you going to explain it to your child? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done on that, though. <laughs> there you go. Moment. Good morning, Alpha. Yeah, I mean, one everybody. It, 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 when, what, what we used to learn, Matteo, yeah? Oh, we used to learn months, and when we see a certain number, right off the head, we know, then we know how to add it and all them something. You get what I mean? I said, um, no, we left from the Caribbean, like for, for those who left from like school from the Caribbean and come over here and pick up at school, them always I said, but now I was here, them I said, oh, the kids then will come from the Caribbean school and come over here and come integrate and fit them school. It's like, sir, kind of depend at a, a higher level. Uh, when you come on to some of the kids them over here, you get what I mean? I say? And we have this certain way of learning our, our, our maths and reading or whatever it is. So, and we'll do just fine. <laughs> we'll do just fine. So, it's like, to me, I feel like we don't know what I'm saying. I'm trying to do. I hear what I'm saying. Maybe all the system still over here, the system, what I'm trying to come with. So them come with some other way of learning things, but it, it, but it, it confusing. Some of the video they must say they make sense. I'm just like, yo, so why we never learn this in school? Look how easy this was. Mm -hmm. And then some, he's like, yo, what the hell is this? This don't make no sense. Like I said, it will bring you all the way around the mountain and come back when you couldn't just do this right here, so and you get the answer, the same answer where I forgot all the way around the mountain and just forget. You get what I say? And. Uh, I don't know, it, it, I don't know what I'm going to try to do, but sometimes I feel like this, the system of us is like, I try to make the kids um, difficult, you know, difficult and I'm reasoning, dumb them down, uh, you know what I mean, when you, you just like a straight to the point type of situation, it things easier to get to, you know what I mean, uh, 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 oh, you learn how to work out uh, certain much problem uh, uh, and reason and, uh, uh, and things like that. You get what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. Them, 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 I try to do them things different now over here. I don't know where, where, where it come from, but I you know, feel like the system of a lot. But more, more time, I feel like say, just take, take your kids, if you can, take your kids out of the school system, you know, because the school system are trash anyways, and just teach them, homeschool them. You get what I'm say? Because at the end of the day, even with the history, why are you sending the kids for learning about somebody who, who discover a place where people already live? That doesn't make no sense. You see, if you can't discover somewhere where 
people already live and you have this person as is high decorated whatever the, the, you want to have this person as it, 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 it retarded you get what I'm saying so at the end of the day you can't expect these people especially if you know certain things uh, you see the, 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 the foolishness where it really is um, I try to teach your kids them, um, uh, to educate the kids them, what about maths, solving problems, history, uh, and, and you know what I mean, or for being literate. So, no, no, no. It, sometimes. You're in the matrix. You're in the matrix. You're in the matrix, Apple. You're in the matrix. All right. Uh, sorry about that, Apple. You are in the matrix. Okay, so before we take a break, um, so Revolt CEO Dottavio Samuels, and this is out of the um, entertainment segment, The Brew, and Jason Lee talk the state of black media. This story is courtesy of Ball Alert. Revolt CEO Dottavio or Dottavio Samuels and Hollywood Unlocks Jason Lee have both advocated for black media throughout their careers to create change, a voice and representation for black journalists, entrepreneurs and creatives. There has been progress, but not enough. After leaving Urban One, Dottavio or Dottavio shared that he wanted to give up on Black-owned media as he battled to get brands to realize and see the power of Black culture. Over the last two years, there has been progress. Unfortunately, it took the unfortunate death of George Floyd for brands to start making commitments. That's according to Samuels. However, Samuels says brands are not delivering on their promises financially. Hmm. There's not going to be enough progress until the amount of capital flowing into black media matches the size of our dreams. We're talking tens of billions of dollars. Jason Lee shares similar sentiments. The culture is not for sale. And a lot of people think that they can just co-opt it by making promises and not following through. As the creative Hollywood unlocked, Lee also shared his feelings on the treatment of black journalists on red carpets. One of the things he says that I have addressed early on was the unfair treatment of black journalists on red carpets. They are only given two seconds to ask one question, while Hollywood Reporter, which is looked at as mainstream, would get all of the time in the world. Lee also shared his thoughts on celebrities who refuse to make themselves accessible to black media. We're seeing more conversations around celebrities that look like us. Stop to black media first. I was surprised that we could talk about people every day, but could not get to them. Respect became a topic of debate as Lee and Samuels weighed in on journalists being called bloggers and the lack of respect some black outlets may receive compared to their mainstream counterparts. The credibility of the work that we do is minimized and marginalized. It's not the first time some people who don't look like us have put us in a box. We just have to keep fighting our way out of it. Lee shared that he never went to college and received his GED in high school, but was still able to become successful. I built a $50 million brand, so you got to put some respect on the journey that I've been on. Samuels shared the same viewpoint. It is in their best interest to minimize us so they can keep and maintain power. Samuels believes black celebrities and the black community can alter people's respect for black media outlets. It is for black celebrities to give us respect. 
a lot of times we're the first to catch black celebrities while they're on their way up. As they start to ascend, they no longer want to come and speak to black media. Is he wrong? No. Black businesses are not given the same respect by the black community, unfortunately. Yeah, I have to agree as someone in the media, right? Um, yeah, like I said, I half agree. Some of it is self-inflicted wounds, right? Because some of the things that people are doing today as media, like the shade room, I don't know if I want to give my attention to the shade room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> you know, I don't know if, that, if that's what I want to do. A lot of it is gossipy, right? It's all gossipy. So what you know, if you are if you're a media outlet and you and you're doing gossipy stuff, and then you expect people to want to walk up to you on the red carpet, they're probably not going to want to do that. Now, I think it's also another aspect of look, Revolt is not black owned. If people don't know that, did he did he maybe co-founded that with NBC Universal, right? So there is actually black owned media that's one hundred percent black owned. But a lot of the media is in partnership with like a white investment firm or something else. And that's the way some of them are able to get better access uh, to funding and financing. But I really think that there needs to be a revolution among the black media and how our approach to media, our approach to content, right? Because I think we're still approaching content in a, in a if I might say it, a sort of we shall overcome 1960s method or 70s method where the media world has evolved and we need to be able to evolve with it. Uh, uh, we, need able, we need to be able to host a diversity of different views. We need to have a platform, for example, where you go to and you can find out what's happening in Africa, what's happening in the Caribbean, you know, what's happening you know, from a political, economic standpoint. We need to have that kind of platform. We don't really have that kind of platform. What we have is people who are either carrying water for one political party or one group or other, commenting on it, uh, uh, and, and that matters. So we do need to have those kind of solid foundations. We do need to get beyond just talking about red carpet fashion, right? right? You know, and then who, the who's who of celebrities. Because I know that's one way in which some people are trying to work their way up. But I can tell you among black people, that's a saturated market of people, right? There's just too many people who want to do celebrity gossip, who want to be on the red carpets and talk to those individuals, right? Uh, in that regard. But you can't really say there's one dedicated space uh, uh, where you would say, this is if I'm going to if I'm going to give two or three minutes of my time on the red carpet. This is the one I'm going to get to. That's why I say some of it's self-inflicted. In terms of the advertising dollars, that's a big problem uh, uh, for black-owned media uh, and for non-white uh, for non-white media in general. Uh, when we look at it, you can see how much money we're spending on hair care products for the women, you know, black women in the community, uh, for other products and services, right? And so it takes more than just getting commitments from you know, brands to say they're going to commit something to you, right? And it takes more than just having a George Floyd incident. You shouldn't have to have a violent incident for people to make a decision that they want to uh, take a look at you again, right? So I think this is where it takes us really building better pipelines. It also takes us even supporting Black-owned businesses that are brands themselves, right? Using them as a part of our, our, our strategy of getting in those ad dollars and being able to market there. But like I said, it's a little bit of some of what they're saying is true. But some of it is also self-inflicted. Some of it, I'm a celebrity person. Why aren't people coming to me? Who cares? Do you have a, a proper media outlet, you know, with with a diversity of different kinds of content that is going to interest even members of the African-American community?
You, you know, you raised some points there, um, David, which have reminded me of something that was said to me recently, a conversation I had recently. Um, and I find it a little disturbing, and I hope it is not true, that when black people become successful, they do not lift up other black people, meaning the majority of their staff, the people they employ, are non-blacks. You know what? Uh, you know what? That is true to an extent. If you remember like five or six years ago when Will and Jada were like, don't go to the Oscars because, you know, he didn't get a nomination for that terrible movie he did playing a Nigerian, like, or, you know, but he didn't get a nomination. And they said, oh, don't go, boycott, you know, the Oscars is racist. And so then they started the production company, Overbook, right? And then they had a photo that they put in the Hollywood Reporter with, you know, with Will and all his employees. And I was like, well, you done talked about all this racial stuff, but every person working for your production company is white. See, something ain't matching up here, right? <laughs> you know, you said, you said, so I, did, I do think to an extent that has been it, but I will say at least in the entertainment world today, you're seeing more and more of these production companies, black production companies coming up, and they are actually bringing black people and having them work in it. But yes, for a lot of the, sometimes you do see that there are people who come up and then, you know, they just, for some reason they get to this exclusionary right mm -hmm. you know they, they're excluding people so yeah i do think that's an issue and that's something that also needs to change so a shift is happening but not as quickly as we would like to see it then okay yeah yes yeah. all right all right thank you everyone for your contribution to the conversations so far we're going to take a quick break when we return we have stories out of latin america and from the international scene here is some feel-good music it is hashtag tbt throwback thursday music in retrospect taking you back in the day
to say thank you to everyone listening on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. Keep it locked. Don't go anywhere. Listeners on JohnnoRadio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Download the Johnno Radio app, J A H K N O. It is available in your Apple and Google Play stores. Johnno Radio, take us on the go. And the beat goes on. Here are the whispers. We're going to go ahead and get back to business. You are absolutely right, Fabian. This music will never grow old. Time for stories out of Latin America. I am picking on the men in this room this week. So yesterday I picked on Donald. Today I hope 
Lord, please do not let naturalist open his mic. But I want to know who naturalist, who he dressing up for. You know, ever since he went on the cruise, I need to have a conversation with his wife. I need to know what's going on. He'd be, you know, putting out, putting up, showing up, showing out. Hmm. Naturalist, what's up? Don't don't open your mic. Don't open your mic, please. I hope you're at work and can't speak. All right. Look, you look good though, I must say. Look real good. But I have to have a conversation with your wife. Know what's going on. So, Mexico's Lopez Obrador denounces USAID funds as interventionist. The president issued a letter to his counterpart, Joe Biden, calling to halt funds to groups against his government. Story courtesy of Al Jazeera. Well, well, well. Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has issued a letter to the administration of Joe Biden calling for the United States to end aid to organizations he perceives as opposed to his government. The letter specifically identifies funds from the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, though it does not name the groups Lopez Obrador objects to. The U.S. government, specifically through USAID, has for some time been financing organizations openly against the legal and legitimate government I represent, he said in the letter. This is clearly an interventionist act, contrary to international law and the relations which should prevail between free and sovereign states. Wednesday's comments echo earlier pushback from Lopez Obrador, who previously sent the U.S. a diplomatic note in 2021 denouncing USAID funds. At the time, he objected specifically to funding for the non-profit Mexicans against corruption and impunity. A foreign government cannot provide money to political groups, he said of the fundings, adding it's promoting a form of coup. In his latest letter, Obrador appeals directly to Biden to halt the funds. On Tuesday, the Mexican president met with White House Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood Randall to discuss border policy ahead of the expiration of Title 42, a policy U.S. officials used to expel asylum seekers during the COVID pandemic. Obrador has faced criticism during his tenure for allegedly weakening Mexico's democratic institutions through attacks on the media and government checks last week. He reiterated calls to close Mexico's Institute for Information Access and Transparency, an independent government body with the power to compel other official agencies to comply with freedom of information requests. He cited wasteful spending as motivation. But I want to back up for a second. So I did not know USAID funds would be used for polit or could be donated for political use okay hold on a second now so let me go to the usaid because huh, we need to understand the purpose of their existence uh paste and uh, a little bit more about the usaid the United States Agency for International Development is an independent agency of the U.S. federal government that is primarily responsible for administering civilian foreign aid and development assistance. Hmm. 
Okay. With a budget of over $27 billion, USAID is one of the largest official aid agencies in the world and accounts for more than half of all U.S. foreign assistance, the highest in the world in absolute dollar terms. Congress passed the Foreign Assistance Act on September 4, 1961, which reorganized U.S. foreign assistance programs and mandated the creation of an agency to administer economic aid. USAID was subsequently established by the executive order of President John F. Kennedy, who sought to unite several existing foreign assistance organizations and programs under one agency. USAID became the first U.S. foreign assistance organization whose primary focus was on long-term socioeconomic development. Okay. Um, USAID's decentralized network of resident field missions is drawn on to manage U.S. government programs in low-income countries for a range of purposes. Disaster relief. Poverty relief. Technical cooperation on global issues, including the environment, U.S. bilateral interests, and socioeconomic development. Uh-huh. Therein lies the answer, and that is the one that they can use. Okay, U.S. bilateral interests. And what are those U.S. bilateral interests as it relates to Mexico and politics? Okay, because off the top of my head, without going to Wikipedia, I felt it was to help with socioeconomic situations to countries that probably apply for grants. That that was my thought. But okay, disaster relief, poverty relief, technical cooperation, global issues, including the environment, U.S. bilateral interests. You always have that 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 little thing, right? That loophole that you can use to get away with doing things that are questionable okay got it hmm there's a 48 hour curfew um that has been imposed in jamaica in some communities in portmore the curfew began 6 p.m on wednesday and will remain in in effect until 6 p.m on friday y'all need to get together down there that's all i must say on that mess right there um hmm Okay, next up, stories from the international scene. Ukraine denies Russian claim Kiev sent drones to hit Kremlin. This was the one that I think Marlon brought to our attention yesterday when we were toward the end of the show. We do have a news bite. We have a sound bite, rather, for this one. Uh, Story courtesy of the Associated Press via WSVN. Russian authorities are accusing Ukraine of attempting to attack the Kremlin with two drones. Officials in Moscow claiming that Ukraine tried to take out their president, President Vladimir Putin. But Ukraine denies any involvement. A Russian state agency releasing video that reportedly shows the moment one of two drones was intercepted at the Kremlin on Wednesday. Russia calling it a planned terrorist attack and an attempted assassination of Vladimir Putin. But Putin was not in the building at the time. It's been reported he's been working from his residence outside of Moscow. I can't uh, in any way validate them. We simply, we simply don't know. Um, second, I would take anything coming out of the Kremlin with a very large shaker of salt. So let's see. 
Uh, we'll see what, uh, what, what the facts are. While Russia did not elaborate or provide evidence to support the claims, Ukraine's president is in Finland meeting with his counterparts, denying the country had anything to do with this drone or the explosion. I, I can repeat, repeat this message, and I think it will at least will be understandable for, for everybody. We don't attack Putin or Moscow. Are we fight on, on our territory. We didn't attack Putin. We leave it to tribunal. Ukraine was already getting ready for its anticipated spring offensive. Now Ukraine says that Russia is clearly preparing a large-scale terrorist attack. Russia's government says no one was injured from the falling debris, but they also say this now lets them, allows them to retaliate when they see fit. And the best start interesting indeed naturalist i think you opened your mic or is i seeing doubles okay what what they said in the chat was it yesterday or the day before <laughs> stay out of family business we go stay out of family business, folks. All right, next story. South Africans ask UK to return diamond and Charles's crown jewels, the world's largest diamond. Discovered in South Africa in 1905, was given to the British monarchy two years later and has been in its possession since. We want it back. Story courtesy of Al Jazeera. Some South Africans are calling for the United Kingdom to return the world's <clears throat> excuse me, largest diamond, known as the Star of Africa, which is set in the royal scepter that King Charles III will hold at his coronation on Saturday. The diamond, which weighs 530 carats, isn't that pretty heavy though? I don't know was discovered in South Africa in 1905 and presented to the British monarchy two years later by the colonial government of the country, which was then under British rule. Now, amid a global conversation about returning artwork and artifacts that were pillaged during colonial times, some South Africans are calling for the diamond to be brought back. The diamond needs to come to South Africa. It needs to be a sign of our pride, our heritage and our culture. And that's according to Motusi Kamanga, a lawyer and activist in Johannesburg, who has promoted an online petition which has gathered about 8,000 signatures for the diamond to be returned. I think generally the African people are starting to realize that to decolonize is not just to let people have certain freedoms, but it's also to take back what has been expropriated from us. Officially known as the Cullinan One, the diamond in the scepter was cut from the Cullinan diamond, a 3,100-carat stone that was mined near Pretoria. A smaller diamond cut from the same stone, known as the Cullinan II, is set in the imperial state crown, which is worn by British monarchs on ceremonial occasions. Along with the scepter, it is kept with the other crown jewels in the Tower of London. A replica of the whole Cullinan diamond, which is about the size of a man's fist, is displayed at the Cape Town Diamond Museum. I believe it should be brought back home because at the end of the day, they took it from us while they were still oppressing us. I agree. That's according to Johannesburg resident Mohammed Abduhali. Others said they did not feel strongly about it. I personally believe that every single jewel that was extracted out of Africa 
whichever country on the continent needs to be returned. My humble opinion. You don't get to do as you like with us. Turn our lives upside down and keep your spoils. That's no laughing in our face. <laughs> I still got you though. No. I agree. Give it back. Give it back. And hurry up. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Afo, you are in the matrix. Afo, we cannot hear anything you're saying. You no are in the... Moment. You see that? It, 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 all it signatures. Oh, yes. We have, we're getting a lot of static, Afo. A lot of static. The thing is, um, we shouldn't even have to petition to get back what is ours. Not mine. Wish it was mine. But South Africans should not have to petition to get back what is theirs. Right? I think because of the landscape we're currently navigating, all countries that have um, precious stones, artifacts, artwork, whatever, whatever it is that you have, I think you should return it in good conscience. In good conscience. Especially considering that there is hesitancy and the reluctance to talk about reparations whatever reparations will look like by the way um okay i forgot what i was gonna say don't worry about it they say if you can't remember it wasn't important right <laughs> can i hear me now yes go ahead go ahead go ahead yeah may i say that's the problem too so, all the 8,000 signatures and other people start say, hey, they don't really do care much about it. Hey, it is what it is. We just go out with life. But you still, them, them ball about oppression and um, the white man and um, racism with them have face right now in South Africa, in army and, uh, against the white people, Mark, and stuff. But you still, you know, move like that to kind of send a message and to help make other people start to think. But others are saying, eh, I'm not really too care about it. It is what it is. It's for the unity there. And they're not going to get things done unless all of them black people there, at the end of the day, unite and get things done. So for those who say they don't, it, it's neither here nor there for them. I can understand why they would say that. I honestly can understand. You need to understand too. Um, I can understand why they would say that. And this is how I'm thinking, right? I may not be right, but this is what I'm thinking. Giving the diamonds back to us is not going to erase history is what they're probably saying. They're probably saying, you know what, let us just move on. Let us just move past this. Some people are of that train of thought. Give us an apology. Just accept, acknowledge what was done and let us move on. I think that's how some people are thinking. Whereas others are, no, give it, give it back to us. And are they well within their right to feel that way? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Sometimes you can't sit and wait for certain things. You have to keep moving because if we sit and wait, we will be stuck, right? So it's not that they have forgot. 
what has happened is this is a choice that some people have made. You know what? It is what it is. This seems like an ongoing battle. Can we just move forward? You know. We feel like more than um, because giving it back now got erased now. But, you know what I mean? All right, cool. You, you, you did this. These are evil acts, and you give back a diamond. I got change when you did to people. Then you know what I mean. But I feel like for the others who say, "Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, forget about it. Uh, move, let's move on." I feel like the more I come from a, a point where, look, getting getting the diamond back now, I got probably do nothing for it. We still go at the end of the day. I got through struggles. <laughs> It I mean, still can hardly afford certain things, get proper housing, still have poverty. For the most part, it probably benefit the politicians or whatever it is. You know, this now go put no food you know, um, you know, you know, me and my kids have more tired and clothes for back our roof of our head. So I guess them probably I think from that a mindset there as well. But again, if them are talk about the more changes that is an that is another way. Why does somebody say tell us sorry? Sorry, I mean no. Uh. What, what is sorry? If you really mean it, anybody can say, oh, I'm sorry, and them really mean it. them still continue to do things. But when you start to give back with things, them or you take from we, that show that more show say yo yo, general a person really sorry because it actually, you know, it, it's more than just a word. You, you, you start to do action now. You get me? I say, cause words don't mean nothing if you have the action behind it. So, so when you take out that the piece of plastic or whatever replica you have, when you give we, you know, why not you take out the piece of replica when you give and give out the real deal? Right, just so you show us, oh, general, they really sorry and they want to make things better, a uh, better relationship between the country or really, right, they kind of ease certain pain, you know what I mean? Uh, where, where, where them ancestors cause with people. I totally understand what you're saying. I'm, and I'm not saying that your thought is wrong. I'm just trying to, you know, highlight the perspective that they're coming from. Uh, in the chat, Donald says, yes, Charles, give it back. Julie says, all they will have left is the nickel in their coins. And she said, one must have a good conscience to give in good conscience. Ah, uh, that is so true. That is so true. Um, Fabian, by the way, let me say this. That was a good room last night. Um, yeah, very insightful. I must say I learned. Um, great points were given by some of the folks you had on stage. I know Chief was one. Um, Keisha, your co-host, um, and some other folks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that space last night. Thank you, Moments. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank Chief for uh, dropping the hammer, as I said last night. I mean, it was a great conversation. Uh, but as to this, um, I think I am 100% with AFO as far as accountability. And we are sending, what message are we sending when we are so, there's something about us that we're so quick to forgive people, you know. We're, we're, we're rushing, a big rush just to sing Kumbaya and hold hands with people that have wronged us. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a thing. It's a thing. There's there's something about us where we feel uncomfortable asking for our own stuff back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something about it. It just makes us uncomfortable. And being uncomfortable makes us uncomfortable. And, you know, uh, you look at other 
cultures and races that have been wronged. They have no problem walking up to people's front door, knocking on the door, and say, give me a you-know-what right, right now. So uh, I think we always have to think about the next generation. You know? What message are we sending to our young people where we, where we move in this kind of way, where we kind of, well, you know, we can make this go on next time, we just make it go on next time again, and, and just keep on this kind of way. No, we'd have to grow a backbone and start demand stuff that has been taken from our ancestors. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, um, Fabian. All right. Enter Camilla, a modern and complex queen. Story courtesy of NPR.org. Well, from mistress to duchess to queen, Camilla's progression reflects that of an evolving British culture and tradition. Who is she? A complex figure in the past, present, and uncertain future of the British monarchy? Officially known as the Queen Consort, Camilla Parker Bowles is the wife of King Charles III. The pair will have their coronation later this week. Camilla was famously Charles's mistress while he was married to the late Princess Diana. The pair, who married in 2005, are both divorced, a relatively modern aspect of royal life. So what is the big deal? Camilla's position as Queen will provide an opportunity for her to highlight causes important to her within the UK and around the world, which includes stopping domestic violence. As with so many matters relating to the monarchy, the real story lies in the details. NPR's Rachel Treisman had did a report on how the decision to drop consort from Camilla's title on the coronation invite reveals a contrast between how the institution views her versus how Charles wants her to be seen. Where's Javet? I remember Javet was asking, um, <laughs> Donald, behave yourself, Donald. Behave yourself, Donald. Donald, you're going to behave yourself, okay? Um, Camilla's official upgrade in station and any subsequent public response will also prove an interesting test on whether modern British society will accept a leader with a less traditional rise to power. She was once regarded as the most hated woman in Britain for her role in the dissolution of Diana and Charles's marriage. And a 2006 poll by the Times showed that 21% of the British public would be happy to have her as queen. Yet that number has increased dramatically since QE2's death. I wonder how it comes. The shift in power from the late Queen Elizabeth II comes at a time of turnover for the monarchy, embroiled in controversy after accusations of exclusion and racial discrimination from Prince Harry and his wife Meghan Markle. Support for the monarchy within the UK is at a historic low. How low can he go? Look, how low can he go? It's real low, folks. <laughs> You know what? I need to behave myself. But it's really low. <laughs> Donald says, in the Caribbean, we will refer to her like Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Donald, time out. Donald is banned from putting comments in the chat. <laughs> hey, ho. When you meet her, that's what you're going to say, Donald. <laughs> you know what? Stop it. You're only going to stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. But um, I think the monarchy needs to, I think they should use this time as an opportunity to look within. 
look within themselves and come to the reality, come to terms with the reality that the monarchy needs to be dismembered for the want of a better term. Do away with the monarchy, please. What's its purpose? It doesn't serve any purpose. The young folks now really don't give two craps about the monarchy, if you ask me. I know I certainly don't, and I'm not young. To hell with the monarchy. Growing up, you know, you thought it was, you know, you saw the pomp and circumstance and, you know, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. But as, as we know, as you get older and you learn the history, the true history, you disassociate and you disconnect and you want to have nothing to do with it and you see it for what it truly is. Even more so when Megan came into the picture. What was that video I played? You can shove the coronation up your ass. <laughs> you can shove the coronation up your ass. <laughs> I'm sorry, let me have some respect for um, the Brits who do respect her still. We need a moment of silence for the monarchy. They need to go. I can't wait to, but as a release, how do they feel though, knowing the history behind the jewels and everything, can they with really good conscience adorn themselves on Saturday? Hmm? Really? Remember at her funeral with the rat crawling on her casket? <laughs> put it back, Donald, put it back. <laughs> That's it. Um, and as I said, never give up on your dreams, folks. Dreams can become reality anywhere in the world. Camilla is going to be the queen, not queen consort, not at all. Donald Trump became president. Anything can happen. It's all up to you. Just believe in yourself. All right. So how do we feel about this one? Nick Cannon claims the red table talk was toxic following the talk show's cancellation. Then goes on to say, I just want to mind my black-owned business. Nick Cannon praises the cancellation of Jada Pinkett Smith's Red Table Talk, labeling the Facebook Watch series as toxic. During the new episode of The Daily Cannon, that still comes on? Okay. Nick made comments suggesting that Will Smith's well-known slap of Chris Rock during the Academy Awards could have been avoided if he had not appeared on his wife's talk show. If there was no red table talk, then he would not have slapped the crap out of Chris Rotnick said. That was royalty, Will and Jada. Then they brought it to the table. I don't want to know all this blank that's going on. Can we blame the red table talk for that though? Is he reasonable with blaming the red table talk show for um, Will's lack of self-control? I, I don't think you can blame the Red Table Talk show for it, but my thought was, like, having watched some episodes of the show, I'm like, this is really like Jada working through her issues and then kind of forcing everybody to do it with her, right? right? It seemed more about her, uh, you know, than it ever did seem about other people. Like, even when she might get criticism from other members of her family, right? It seemed like it's more about her and her going through a healing journey 
than it is about the rest of the family members. And so, yeah, in that way, I didn't think the show was very good. I, because it just seems like you forcing people into discussions that they didn't really want to get into, right? Right? You know, into something for you. It's about you. So I'm all, you know. So in that sense, I got, I got. I mean, like, remember when she brought Will on there to talk about her quote unquote entanglement, right? right? <laughs> and even just that episode, it set a lot of people off. It just, it seemed more about her, right? Mm-hmm. right? It's about her. It's like, you know, it's not about, it, you know, it's not about any kind of true healing or understanding. So I do think that particular episode and that particular issue coming to light and being all in the media, I do think that that, and not just that episode, but just the whole issue, I do think that set Will Smith off. You know, you know that took him down a, a dark path that would that that would lead up to, uh, you know, to the thing. He has to be responsible for his actions, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But I think the show in itself was a toxic show, right? Right. Because of the because the premise didn't seem genuine or real. Okay. All right. Yeah, it was toxic for real. You know what the another thing as well, uh, David said. Yeah, him go on the show and that lead to the slap and uh, in the future. Yeah, when I really, when I believe in that part, yeah, really, uh, well, who knows? But uh, apart from the show, yeah, it was toxic. Uh, was still like some little snippets, and from that was like yeah, trash and I ignore it. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I was never into it, and eventually we just get rid of Facebook because of other reasons. But yeah, it was trash, toxic. So. Okay, so we acknowledge, okay, hold on one second, Donald. So we acknowledge that um, it was more healing, a healing process for her. She used that platform to deal with whatever issues she had going on. But let me ask a question, because based on comments that I, when I was on Facebook and I used to watch it, based on comments that I would see, people could relate to some of what she was talking about and were grateful. So we don't feel that it helped other people to process whatever it is that they were going through as long as they could relate to it or something similar to whatever the circumstances were. We don't think that it helped anybody else, just her? No, I know, I, I do think that through these conversations, you can help other people. So I don't, I don't take away that. I just think the premise of bringing you know, your daughter and you know, your, uh, mother. your mother. Yeah. And then bringing on the people who are working behind the scenes, right. You know, like the camera people to, to thrust them into a conversation about race or to thrust people into conversations about things that they may not have wanted to really be involved in. Right. That's the part of it. It's like, I feel like mm, you have a more genuine conversation. If I may say so with an Oprah Winfrey show, right. Episode, right. Where the people know what they're coming to talk about, right. You know, or know what's going on. And it doesn't seem like it's Oprah Winfrey sitting there healing herself through these conversations she's actually trying to you know actually engage other people so i just think i just think it's just a little bit more the self-centeredness of, of her premise of the show that that that's what made it toxic when when people look back in the same way you know people now look back at that show america's next top model which they thought was positive right <laughs> you know and everything and they realize well it wasn't necessarily as positive as they thought it was right okay all right fair enough thank you david go right ahead donald I am still trying to figure it out. What did Jada do to get Will Smith to go on a show to discuss and humiliate himself 
into like to the world. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, you guys give all this talk to the show and stuff. I'm still stuck at that point. <laughs> I am still stuck at that point. Who could agree for me to do something like that, mm-hmm. and I become a willing participant? I don't know. I can't. I can't conceptualize it. Me neither. I don't know how he agreed to that because I think that was the lowest level that someone could stoop to when it comes to their relationship. Certain things I don't think need to be out there. You resolve those issues. Go to a therapist or have the round table talk in your dining room with yourself, your daughter, whoever. But do not bring... That should never have been brought to the forefront. So she humiliated him, in my opinion. He allowed himself to be humiliated. She must have got some damn good kitty cat. But he allowed himself to be humiliated. Or she have some secrets for him. Let's not leave that out the equation, right? Um, for him to allow himself to be, to, to be used, manipulated like this for light. For likes, certain things are a no-no. Do you know how embarrassing that is? For him to have his wife confess to the world that this man, this young man, had sexual relations with his wife more than once. And then... Who remembers the picture August put up of himself? Mm-hmm. So people were like shredding Will to pieces. She, she did him wrong. She did him dirty. She really did him wrong. Well, Crystal said, you know what's the old saying? If mama ain't happy, ain't no one gonna be happy. So maybe she needed to heal so the family could heal. But clearly... She's misguided. No one to tell her, no, baby, this is not how we do it. Not everything needs to be put on a platform. And baby, once it gets out there, you can't pull it back. Did anyone, did she share? She must have told the producers what she was going to do. And you want to tell me that nobody in the production team said, Jada, I don't think this is a good idea preservation of your husband's mental well-being should come first nobody oh no they wouldn't tell her that 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 doesn't make good tv or good programming crystal that shows us what that is showing is how low we are willing to go to be validated to be accepted to get a check. What does it speak? What does it say of us? Our morals. Where we place our values. Do we even have a compass at this point? But if you notice. In today's society. Everybody airs everything. On social media. Nobody keeps anything private anymore. And everybody's doing it for the likes. It's all about likes. And is that what we're so focused on? Followers and likes, and we will do anything for that? Pretty much selling our souls. 
when you look on 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 social media breaking up getting together who has fought cheat on this one that, everybody's business is out there and then this is the kicker for me after you have put your entire business out there you're gonna come and ask for privacy no boo mm -mm, mm -mm, keep them cameras rolling keep it rolling you had us all up in your business keep them rolling you know when you said that because you mentioned them earlier and i don't like Meghan markle our husband because they like oh we want our privacy but we're gonna go on 80,000 TV shows to tell me how you feel. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You start giving them the side eye saying, mm, I don't know how much you're exploiting this because you need some money, right? right? So you're just going to exploit your family issues because you need money, but you want to be private. Mm -hmm. Make it make sense, David. I don't get it. Don't get it at all. All right. Are we going to take a quick break? When we get back, we have stories out of this is America. Here is Patrice Rush for ya. Where's my play button? Here we go. Sending you forget me nots. Hashtag TBT Throwback Thursday Music in Retrospect. Taking you back to the 80s and 90s today. Some good old disco music. Gotta give a big thank you to everyone listening online. To all the listeners on QMZRadio.com, JohnNoRadio.com, thank you so much for tuning in. And to everyone right here with me on Clubhouse, you are appreciated.
Clubhouse, thank you for rocking out with me. Appreciate each and every one of you. Coming up Monday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, set your alarms. It's Days After Dark, Real Relationship Talk. This Monday, we're going to be talking about the big O. all the throwback for you then we're gonna get back to business make that move right now whatever it is that you need to get done go on ahead and get it done folks do not delay don't put it off anymore. Pursue that dream. One foot in front of the other. longer you take to make that move is the longer it will take you to get what it is that you need message in the music it's not just for us to dance it is a quarter before the top of the hour it's time for us to go ahead and get back to business and of course you know what time it is you hear this song this is america time for the crazy folks time for the crazy we just 
Folks, first up, Dion Patterson arrested after shooting five people in medical waiting room. Story courtesy of Bala Alert. The suspect who wreaked havoc on the city of Atlanta after committing a mass shooting on Wednesday has been arrested after an hours-long manhunt. Anybody has the tab for us um, of the mass shootings since the year yet? Anybody? Can somebody get, figure it out for us, please? I've lost count. Um, really, I have, but I want to know the figure. And I should have looked it up this morning, and I don't know how I forgot to. So please, someone be so kind. Police arrested Dion Patterson around 8 p.m. after tracking him throughout the city following the senseless shooting that left one woman dead and four injured. The carnage unfolded inside a waiting room in Midtown's Northside Hospital Medical Building in the early afternoon. As he waited for an appointment of some kind, the 24-year-old seemingly became agitated and began firing at people in the waiting area. A 39-year-old woman was killed while the remaining victims were transported for treatment nearby. Patterson then fled in a stolen vehicle and remained on the run most of the day. The vehicle's license plate was spotted on camera in the Cobb County area around 12.30 p.m. Still, officials in that jurisdiction were not alerted until around 2.30 p.m., meaning the suspect could have been in the area for a two full hours before anyone knew. Shortly before 3 p.m., his photo began circulating on the news, with citizens urged to stare clear of him and to call police if he was spotted. As of now, there is no mo motive behind the murders. The former Coast Guard, I'm sorry, the former Coast Guardsman appeared to shoot at random, but that also has not been confirmed. Nearby buildings and schools remained under lockdown during the afternoon as police desperately searched for Patterson. His mother, Mignon Patterson, began cooperating with the investigation early on and blamed local VA doctors for prescribing her son the incorrect medication. She said the damn VA gave him some messed up medication. All he wanted was an Ativan or Ativan. She reportedly told the Daily Beast that before she hung up. Ativan is a medication that is used to treat anxiety. It's unclear how long he might have been seeking help. Karen Henderson, Patterson's aunt, also spoke with the Daily Beast following the shooting. She said while she had not seen her nephew in a while, his actions were a complete shock to her. <sighs> um, there was one death, four injured. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I don't know why they had the headline as well. They just have it as shooting five people. But thank you, David. Thank you so much. Um, why did it take so long? If he was spotted on camera in the Cobb County area at 12.30 p.m., why did it take two hours for officials in that jurisdiction to be alerted? Okay. Um, so 
Coast Guardsman means um, VA means he's a vet, right? Am I right? So he is prescribed medication by a VA doctor. Okay. Yes. Okay. And the doctor prescribed her prescribed him the wrong medication. How does that happen, folks? How does that happen? Go right ahead, David. Well, first we'd have to figure out, did he prescribe the wrong medication? Because that just, I mean, I'm being honest. It could, we don't know, right? It could just be the, you know, frustration of a family, right? Right? I mean, we'd have to wait for all the information to determine. Because maybe the doctor had a reason for that particular medication as opposed to the other. I don't know. I mean, I don't know any information. But, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say, well, it was the medication that made him do it. Cause that's, you, know, I don't know, you know, I mean, obviously the person had extenuating uh, uh, issues going on. I think we should be definitely basically concerned about the time in which it took the police to even respond in which they could have, you know, potentially stopped this situation from happening before it ever, before it, before, before it got to where it is. That seems like the most immediate question. But how, they would not have been able to stop him, though, because remember, yeah. he, he did it in the medical waiting room. Yeah. Right. And that what took long is being able to get a hold of him following the shooting because he fled the scene in the, yeah. in the stolen vehicle. They yeah. spotted him in Cobb County. And I think it takes about what 30 minutes or so to get up to Cobb County, if I'm thinking about from downtown up to Cobb. Um so they spotted him on camera and then it took two hours after that before the authorities um got information and were able to get a hold of him it wasn't until shortly before 3 p.m that his photo began circulating on the news and the jurisdiction in cobb county were they were not alerted until two hours after go right ahead i think someone else opened their mic go go ahead donald no. That may be a lapse in the response from the police, right? If we continue to try to put a gun in every citizen's hand, these incidents will continue to pop up. Mm -hmm. Because we all are living on the edge. And at any given point in time, you have a gun, you get angry for a millisecond, you use it, even if you regret. As the saying goes, the arrow has already left the ball. Mm -hmm. So we keep putting opportunities out there but the more guns we put out there the more opportunities people have to snap for whatever reason and we don't seem to think that's the problem so when i start to wear my gun because i'm a, i'm afraid that somebody would come up to me and i can't defend myself and this person and everybody so we create one trigger happy situation where at any point in time look mental health is an issue that is not addressed properly in this country. It's not addressed at all in some cases. What happens when you snap? What happens when you put people in who are fragile mentally in positions where they have that much power to annihilate people mm-hmm. or, or to kill people? What message are we sending to the youths when we don't even do things like conflict resolution and we don't teach people how to interact? You know, and it comes down to the same thing. When we, if you lose, you get a trophy. 
because somehow you have to be rewarded for losing. So you're you're not learned to deal with, with, with not being good enough. You're not learned to do deal with things like I have to work on myself if I need to get to the level I want and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you keep you keep passing failing students. You know, so it all is a cycle. But let me ask you a question, Donald. Let me ask you a question, Donald. So clearly he's a vet, right? Because he's going to the VA. Do we think the, the, the federal government is doing enough for veterans to ensure that they are getting the proper care, especially psychiatric care for those who have gone to war and have been through combat? I don't even have to go through the detail as to what care. Absolutely not. You go, you fight, whatever happens, you come back to range, it's normal, whatever, you're ignored, that's it. Sometimes you're discharged for behavior that probably is caused by the same trauma you face in war zones. Mm-hmm. And that's it. They go on the new recruiting job to get your replacement and you're just forgotten. There is, there is nothing helping people deal with this stuff. Very little. Yeah, there might be some programs here or there, but in general, you know how much people, actually to the point where people think that begging because I'm a vet is something honorable. Oh, I serve my country, so help me out now. Because, you know, nothing is done at the level it should. You know, but we're busy funding wars and whatever, you know. Because thank you, Donald. Go ahead, Marlon. But I just got a question. When did the mother realize it's the wrong medication? And if she know it was the wrong medication, did she complain? Did she go back to the hospital with her son and let the doctor know it's the wrong medication? Um, I'm not gonna say doctors don't make the wrong decision sometimes, mm-hmm. but as I think David has said. It's a possibility he needed that medication. And secondly, if you know your son is like that, why didn't you take his gun from him, knowing that he's not stable? And the third thing is, he went to the hospital with intent because he brought the gun in the hospital. Mm. So in there with the gun. It's not like he left it in a car and went back. He had it with him so he went in there with a reason to use it if something happened you know because most of us who have guns we don't take it in the hospitals you don't take it to the doctor's appointments don't do that so you, you take it there for intent to use for something so i'm not going to say the doctor didn't prescribe the wrong medication i don't know but he needs to take accountable and be blamed for what he did, killing somebody's family and wounded others. And you cannot, and the mom should, the mom needs to, should have, if she know her son was like this, you cannot blame the vet or blame the doctor. You know your son have mental issues and you know he's crazy. Find a way to take the gun from him, something. So I'm not going to, bl- I blame the, everybody. You know, go ahead, David. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, uh, and this may be, you know, across multiple communities, but particularly in the African American communities, we've had a long aversion to mental health, right? And a lot of times, what it takes is, you know, you have that uncle, right, 
and then uncle's a little off. Uh, it's off, right? And everybody knows they're off, right? And they're just we're either going to pray for it at the church or are you just going to have everybody watching him, you know, make sure you don't do this, make sure you don't do that. And then a lot of times it take, it'll be 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And when he finally takes that butcher knife and almost, you know, stabs somebody, then that's when we decide, okay, well, now it's time to go get something some service and then when you go there and then they tell you what the person's diagnosis is then a lot of times we get upset what do you mean you know, uh -huh. that's not it you know you know you know he you know he just so we wait sometimes until things get to that level right right to even go out and and and, and start to uh you know uh, get the help and i think there needs to be a a better way even among mental health clinicians to be able to start to engage communities at the church, you know, or engage communities in their community to start getting them to think about mental health in a way that when we start seeing things among our family members, right, or among people in our community that we know are, are often that would potentially constitute as uh, something related to mental health, that we can start to kind of get the services around to address them so we don't wait until, you know, something bad happens. And then we're like saying, my child wasn't a bad child, you know, you know. And then we have to deal with it all afterwards. And I want to add to that too, David. Um, going back to you, Marlon, I understand what you're saying, but the intent, I'm trying to rationalize through it, right? Um, what if he has been trying to get through to the doctor, not making any excuses, okay, don't get me wrong, not making any excuses for the behavior because it was wrong. But what if... He has been trying to get through to the doctor that I've been getting the wrong one. It's the wrong one. And nobody's listening to him as they don't usually listen to us in the black community anyway. What if it's that he's being ignored? So he felt that, you know what, I'm going to take the gun with me and I'm going to force them to listen to me now. Could that have been a possibility? I mean, I'd rather he did that without shooting anybody and trying to see if he can um, get the right medication if he was if he was trying to do that or they could have take their own money and go to their own personal doctor and got the right medication but what if they don't have the money for that Marlon well, they, they, one thing I've learned there always a way there is always a way you can just go to the ER you don't have to pay the damn bill just go to the ER and 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 once you're a vet, you have that, um, you don't have to go to the, the vet hospital. You have that card. Yes, they give you they, they give you free things at the vet hospital, but you could take your vet card and go to a regular hospital. You're gonna pay something. So I'm not gonna, I'm not, you didn't, it's not like excuse or anything, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, there's options. So if if I'm going to my doctor and he's not giving me the right, I don't think I don't think he's giving me the right medication. I'm gonna find somewhere else. I'm gonna try somebody else. And if they keep prescribing the same medication everywhere I go, well, obviously that's the one I need to get. You know, so there's always a way, and this is how I look at life. There's always a way, because you went and you kill somebody's child. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you, Marlon. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah. Go ahead, Drew, oh, and then sorry. Chief. Oh. Drew, then Chief. Um, and one thing I wanted to say is, in being sensitive to veterans and their, you know, the needs of veterans and mental health and all of that, I think when we have these conversations, 
I'm not saying that it couldn't play a role, but at the end of the day, I look more towards I have I, I, I my prayers and my thoughts and my feelings are more towards the lives that were lost because of the actions of this person. Mm-hmm. Even with even with small children, we tell them violence isn't the way, right? And so, yeah, there things in life and circumstances aren't always ideal. And there's a lot of people going through a lot of different things. Um, he is not a mon- you know, his, his particular situation is not something that's uncommon. You know, sometimes you get a medication that's not right. You know, sometimes things happen. But at the end of the day, it does not excuse or negate the fact that you murdered a bunch of people. And then with you being on the run, it tells me that you know you did something that you weren't supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you genuinely felt like what you were doing was justified, why did you run away? Why are you hiding? You're hiding because you knew before you went in there that what you was about to do was wrong. You knew what you were thinking about doing was wrong. And when you did it, you knew it was double wrong and you ran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of that, I just don't have I just don't have a lot of patience for it. It's like I don't put my time and my energy towards him or his story. Mm-hmm. My thoughts, my prayers, and my energy go towards uh, the people that lost family that should have been here today. Rightly so, Drew. I agree with you and Marlon. Chief, right? I'll be right with you, Chief. I agree with what you're saying, um, Drew and Marlon. But I'm thinking down the line, how can we prevent, you know, prevent things like this from happening? And you've heard the stories of veterans and the, the post-traumatic disorders that they go through. Right. And it, the triggers that they have. Um, we've heard of situations where fathers are yelling at their children because they heard a sound and they right away they think they're on the um, in a war zone. Right. So I'm not excusing what he did at all. Don't get me wrong. Not at all. But I'm just trying to see how we can prevent these things from happening in the future. Number um, one of the things people might say you shouldn't have to have um, gun de- or metal detectors at hospitals, but we probably need to. Why was he, he should not have been allowed to take a weapon at all into the hospital. But um, Chief, go right ahead. Yeah, so <clears throat> I agree with pretty much everything everybody's saying on some point, uh, on some of the points. I, you know, we we had an incident like that here in Tulsa, and we there was a man who, he was also a veteran. He was having real pain issues and he kept trying to call the doctor's office and they wouldn't call him back. Then when they did find, when he did finally get to them, it was pretty much too late. He was on his way there to figure out why they weren't returning his calls. And they, they had all of this evidence, you know, cause everybody's trying to figure out why did he go into this hospital and do this? And he went straight into the office and he confronted everybody that he spoke to. And uh, and it 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 led to those people's demise. But there was so much, like you said, moments. There were so many opportunities where that could have been prevented, and he was ignored. You know, somebody said yesterday, I think it was, that somebody mentioned the idea of you know black folks' pain tolerance and not being able to, and not and being discriminated against on how much pain. Right, when we're talking about nurses walking yeah. away. Right. Yes. 
And so, and, and all of those things are realities, right? Because had the man just shot himself, we would all, we would have been sitting here having a different discussion today. Like, why come we didn't catch that? You know, how, how do we prevent suicide and how do we not observe mental health issues? You know, da, 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 da. We can't, we, we can't pick and choose. I mean, that's still a reality that, you know, like, why, what is it? And when you have mental issues, you might be stable one moment and not stable the next, you know, like I'm unstable while I'm in the hospital. When I leave the hospital and realize what I'm doing, what I've done, I'm in myself again. Like uh, I'm in a, a certain state of awareness. So the ebb and flow of mental conditions, you know, so we also have to contend with the history of psychiatry as it relates to black people. Mm-hmm. And which is why, the, which is why we don't go into those institutions to get support. You know, there's, there's ample evidence of that. And we've been misdiagnosed or, you know, in Oklahoma, I think it was like 70% of indigenous people were sterilized because they felt like if you had certain mental traits, not mental issues, mental traits, they sterilized you because they didn't think you were capable, of have, you were fit to have children. You know, so it, it, there are a lot of a lot of things that we we consider and reconsider when it comes to things like that. We also are aware that we're asking a sick society to make us well, and their idea of psychiatry has always been dysfunctional. That's why the small number of black psychiatrists who exist, who actually analyze the effects of racism and all these other isms that affect us get little play, mm-hmm. you know, because they're, they're actually studying something from a different perspective. I remember the first time my doctor asked me at 26, you healthy as a mule. Why do you have high blood pressure? And I looked at him like, what the hell? Do you not understand what kind of world we live in? <laughs> you know, it was, it was just like it. And the fact that I'm, I don't know what you're getting ready to say walking in here, you know, it's just, a, it's so many factors that we have to think about. And I don't think we should ignore any of them. Otherwise we contribute to lack of mental health or uh, the, the lack of compassion. Right. I want to ask a question. Here's another question I want to ask. Um, when you are leaving the army, whether you've been discharged or it's time for you to retire, especially if you have been on the front line, you've been into a few wars, right? You've been into combat. And God knows, I don't know if I could deal with that day in, day out, seeing the trauma on the front lines. When you are to leave, do they put you in a camp, in a setting, something where you are decompressed, so to speak, if that's the right term, where you go through psychiatric evaluations, you go through therapy, you go through counseling? That's one question. Before you transition in back to civilian society. Um, what help is given, what what measures are put in place to help you make that transition easy. The other thing is um, the guns. Are vets allowed to keep the weapons or, or are they required to turn them in? Now, if you go through a psychiatric evaluation and it is deemed that you should not have these weapons, do they still allow you to leave with them? Just a few questions, a couple questions rather. Well, those are one of the reasons people don't admit that they have a mental issue, you know, because you understand the consequences of that. You can't even go out, get out of the military and go get a job in certain cases. Like many of these people end up getting jobs on 
as police officers, law enforcement, you know, because that's that's what they're it, it's embedded in them. Right. And and, often, and people want to, you know, you want to leave the military with honorable mentions. And then you also want to be able to say uh, you want to be active. You want to be able to be an active, uh, uh, you know, like where you're not uh, I forgot the, where you're not full duty. You're right. You're an inactive service member, but you're still in, in the service. So it, there are different variables that, but you don't, you, that's the only time you have that kind of evaluation. It's when you actually get counsel and they advise you on these, these are the things that you should consider. And then it's up to that person, unless that person has some issues that cause them, like a, Ooh, like you might Chief, be where are you? I'm where sorry. You? Uh-huh. Like you might be facing court martial or something like that, you know, that, so it's different situations. So wouldn't it be ideal then that everyone leaving the military, whatever branch, you have to it be mandated that you have to go through um, therapy for three months, six months, whatever it is, but you have to go through that process. And then those who are um, working with you, they are the ones who will have to fill out a report to say, you know, and give their recommendation, not relying on you to say, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, or I'm not okay, but, uh, you know, to make it fair. Who's going to cover the cost of sending everybody that's living in the military to terribly for three months? We have it to send to Ukraine. That money could have been used for that. If we say so, you you only care about them if while they're on the, the the um in the war zones or in the military. But the minute they're leaving, you thank them. Oh, thank you for your service, and we don't care about you anymore. No, I'm just saying that uh, most policy decisions that's come down to dollars and cents and funding. And if you're already not funding them in other areas, when they leave whether they have the mental health issues or not. Would you really go and make a mandatory funding for three months therapy or two months therapy? And you have to find a lot more millions of dollars in your in your budget. Now that's that's mm. a tough decision to make. No return on investment. I get it. Uh, and they don't they don't get to keep military weapons. You you have to purchase your own civilian weapon. Oh, you don't get to keep the military weapon. Okay, thank you. Thank you no, for clarifying no. that. Okay, all right. Okay, Afo, I think you are trying to say something. You sounded like you're in the Matrix. Let's see if we can hear you clearly. Afo. All right, Afo is still stuck in the Matrix. All right. Um, next up, 10-year-old children were found working at a Louisville McDonald's until... 2 a.m. Story courtesy of CNN via WSVN. Now, oh Lord, have mercy. Um, we are worried about companies in China, and we have issues going on right here in the U.S. That we that right under our nose. Let me put it that way: right under our noses. But we're quick to have issues. Um, with countries outside. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Um, I do have the sound bite for this this one. A disturbing find at three McDonald's franchises in Kentucky. 
The Labor Department finding that 305 children as young as 10 years old worked more hours than legally permitted or performed tasks they are not allowed to by law. In a statement, McDonald's said the reports go against their brand. The three franchises now need to pay more than $200,000. That's it? Just pay the fine? That's the only thing? Is that sufficient? 10-year-olds? Working as late as 2 a.m.? Employed but not paid? And all we're doing is um, charging them a total for the three franchises. $212,754 in civil money penalties for the child labor violations. Number one, where are the parents? Who are the parents of these 10-year-old children? I know my 10-year-old had to, when the, my children were 10, they were in bed by 8, 9 o'clock. 8 o'clock during the week, 9 o'clock on weekends. I don't get it. Where are the parents? Who are the people that own these franchises that they're only getting a slap on the wrist? Shut them down. Apparently, in the case of the 10-year-olds, they were on a job with their father, who was a manager. And I don't know if somebody said they're working or whatever. So I don't know if they accompany him to work or, you know, so there is more details than that one. There's more details, but the, okay. But the, the number of students, the number of children that was being worked outside of the law, just among three franchises, that's that's a lot. You said 200? Three, okay, so, so it is 305 children. That, 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 that's, 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 that's a lot. That's a lot. That, 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 that's sweatshop numbers there. Well, usually when these things happen, um, number one, the public has to advocate that the news stations continue to further along with the story. Because what could be, I don't know if it is, but what it could be is it could be a trafficking issue. Um, <clears throat> they might be getting, I mean, I'm probably nine times out of 10, they're going to lose their McDonald's franchise license because of this, because it's a PR nightmare. So the, that McDonald's is probably, those McDonald's are going to shut down. But the 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 other thing, I would want them to be investigated to make sure that there wasn't any um, trafficking issues, that the people working there, are they legal? Were they brought here illegally to do this? You know, it, it seems like more than just some 10-year-olds working or some kids working. It, it sounds like something way deeper. Hmm. Yeah. We need more information. I agree with you. This is ridiculous. So we're busy dabbling in other people's countries. I want to sanction people. I want to cry shame on other people when we have our skeletons here that we're not paying attention to. Who is popping up and doing random audits called shops in these places? Nobody? Are we the slack? And you know, as I read the story, and yes, I have to agree with you, there, there is a deeper issue, and I hope trafficking is not involved. But as we think about the laws, <laughs> the bills and everything, all the yada, yada, yada that they're trying to do right now, as it relates to 
child marriages and children working. It probably really doesn't bother them. So we're here up in arms and getting all riled up and angry and upset and wondering how can this be happening when probably they're okay with this. The powers that be, that is. And could it be that that's why they're trying to make changes and write bills that will permit these things to happen? So the franchises Bauer Food, Archways, Richwood, and Bell Restaurant Group did not immediately respond to request for comment. CNN has always has also reached out to McDonald's for comment. They probably McDonald's can't even respond on them. Never know if they do. So you're paying your franchise fees, yes, to keep your franchise running, but. Nobody from corporate is going through, going to these locations, randomly popping up. Nobody. Because at the end of the day, it's my company, right? It's my name that you are using. It would be like me giving you my vehicle to drive. You don't have no license. You have a horrible record. But. I give you my vehicle. Who is it going to fall back on? Am I not going to be held responsible at some point? This is America. If we have 300 in just three franchises, what can possibly be happening across the industry? Donald? I don't even want to think about it. Wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago we talked about the meat packing plant? Then a couple weeks, another, let's go back, say about two weeks, another situation. And now we have another. So it's, it's the norm here. And we acting like we, we're perfect over here. Department of Labor, Labor Department, whatever you want to call it, the U.S. Department of Labor. Owners. Come on, man, get busy. It's not just about reaping profits. It's about human rights. Path to voting. Lord have mercy. Advocates in Florida clamor for a fix for the formerly incarcerated who want to vote. Story courtesy of NPR. Nearly a million Floridians who have finished prison time for a felony remain disenfranchised despite a 2018 ballot measure that promised to restore their voting rights. And as this year's legislative session wraps up, advocates say Florida lawmakers still haven't done anything to provide clarity for the formerly incarcerated who want to regain their rights. The reason so many people remain disenfranchised stems from rules Republicans added after voters approved that ballot measure. In 2019, legislators passed a law requiring returning citizens to pay all the fees and fines associated with their sentence before they can vote again. But lawmakers never created a system to find out who owes what, says Fentress Driscoll, the Democratic leader of the Florida House. We have been asking for a database, she said. Just let people know whether or not they have fines and fees. Let them know how to pay for them. Let them know whether or not they are eligible to register to vote. 
Driscoll says issues around voting eligibility for the formerly incarcerated came to a head last year when the state's newly created election crimes unit announced a slew of voter fraud arrests. We all watched in horror as Governor Ron DeSantis had 20 people arrested. He had returning citizens who believed that they had registered to vote in a valid way. He had them arrested. Those 20 individuals were not eligible to vote because they had been convicted of murder or sexual assault, which exempted them from getting their rights back, even if they had paid their fees and fines. But despite that, most of them were given voter registration cards. Local election officials said they were relying on the state to make sure voters were eligible. Attorneys representing defendants in these cases have accused the state of entrapping these voters by having a system that allowed them to get a voter registration card. Roger Weenden, who is representing two individuals charged with alleged voter fraud, told NPR in December that the state could have created a system where local election officials and formerly incarcerated people could see if they were eligible to vote. The government shouldn't be able to prosecute cases in which they are almost co-conspirators by sending the registration cards and allowing them to vote. (laughs) I'm not surprised that the Republicans would drag their foot on this and not follow through on a promise. I, I, I really am not. Because guess what? They want to make sure that Florida will remain a red state. And by any means necessary, by Lord, whatever, they're going to get it done. Now, I don't see why these 20 people were arrested when the state failed. It's not fair to them. It is not fair to them. There should be something in place that says you cannot register to vote, period. Especially considering that um, the Republicans did not follow through on the voter-approved ballot measure that should have been um, amended. You're going to blame people. The 2018 ballot measure promised to restore their voting rights and the Republicans made sure not to follow through and the legislative session is about to wrap up. So it's not going to get done. And this is deliberate. As we listened to the clip yesterday and the day before that I played, they are being very deliberate with their actions. They know what they're doing. The Republicans know exactly what they're doing. So they better not a big, a big, a big, a big go. They better, God forbid, come back if they lose and talk about um, voter fraud because they're busy trying to circumvent. But these people did their time. You know, whatever they, whatever crime they commit, I understand. Let them vote if they, if they, if they want to vote. I don't think you should stop them from voting. You come out of jail, you did your time. Let the people vote. You know, why are you blocking these people from, you know, exercising their right? You know, I, I, I don't understand that. I don't know. Marlon, which video was it that we played? Um, here the other day, which country was it that 
you can vote. You're still allowed to vote. Yeah, I forgot which country. In jail, you can vote. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, this is people's right to vote. You know, let them vote. Let them vote. It's just like um, you buy a Puerto Rico and uh, you, know, you own Puerto Rico and I forgot the other island. And they can't vote from over there for the U.S. Um, thing. They have to come to the U.S. to vote. Like you cannot, to, for the presidency in, in Puerto Rico, you cannot vote for a president in, in, um, from Puerto Rico. That not make no sense, though, Marlon, because in Jamaica, you can cast your ballot at oh. the embassy in Jamaica. You have to come to the U.S. and, and get an a, a address here. Then you can vote and then go back home. So I don't understand that. You buy up all these, doing all these things, and you can still can't vote. You go to jail, you spend your time, you did your years, and you can't even kick off some of these assholes out of the um. Ireland. Such language. I'm sorry. Chief, I'm going to have to put Marlon in time out. You know, he's never went, he's never gone in the corner like James and you. Gonna have to put him in time. Yeah, I know, right? And I'm trying to protect him. I'm trying to defend my brother from the corner. Don't get on the, don't get put on the corner, man. It ain't good. We don't make any money on the corner. Like some people. Oh, gosh. I don't know, Marlon. I don't know. I think I know what it is. I think it's the idea that. A prisoner who has been locked up, who has educated himself or herself and have have tried to understand the loopholes in the law and who the real crooks are and criminals are, understand the system. And they have the ability to galvanize people with the knowledge that they've earned while incarcerated and have judges removed, right? Like, I know these people are crooked as heck. Now, with this education, let me help you have an informed voting, you know, be informed in your voting practice. To galvanize that kind of political strength is powerful because most of us, even those of us who are le who can legally vote, are the least educated when it comes to elect elections concerning judges. Because I know people, look, the majority of people I know look at the ballot and like, I don't even know who these people are. In your in your local court system, I know I'm telling the truth. You are, you are, you're not <laughs> right, lying. Right. Whatever this name, yeah, this name, this name sounds, yeah, this name sounds nice. <laughs> but these people spend their, a lot of their time saying, "Oh hell no, this person has convicted hundreds of innocent people. This person is getting paid under the table by the privatized prison industry complex." Like that, that that level of voter empowerment is 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 a is a game changer. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Chief. Go ahead, Drew. Go right ahead. Um, and I agree. I agree. Um, but I think with these situations, right, they're so large and they're so out of reach for us because there are individuals who are in position that hold this power that sometimes it feels like, well, what can we do? Well, something that comes to my mind just now why don't we start an initiative nationwide? Let me stand for you. 
where people where we call on people who don't normally vote to stand up for somebody in their family who would want to vote but can't Mm -hmm. because they've been incarcerated i think that would be something where we could see even larger voter turnout if we encourage people to even if you don't believe in the voting system if you have somebody in your family that can't stand up for them you know cast a vote for them you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um because then we can put feet to fire to individuals that we do vote in to knock down some of these laws that are disenfranchised to people um, who who have served their time and have a right to have a say in who they want to represent them. So yeah, and on the heels of that story, uh, here's the next one. John Legend knows the obstacles of life after prison, and he wants you to know them too. Story courtesy of NPR, and we do have a sound bite for that one. Hey, NPR listeners, up first is the news you need to start your morning. You'll hear the three biggest stories of the day, plus reporting and analysis from NPR News. Click the play button below to listen. Support for NPR comes from Amazon Business, a 2023 lead sponsor of Up First. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Learn more at amazonbusiness.com. Tens of millions of Americans have a criminal record or conviction. Most people do eventually get out of prison or jail, but what happens after that? That's the subject of a documentary short film out this week called Home Free. After spending 30 years uh, behind bars, you have no medical insurance, you have no place to live, uh, no job. How do you buy food if you have no job? Freedom is not the way that I always thought it would be. That's Anthony Ray Hinton, one of the people featured in Home Free, which was produced by several groups advocating for formerly incarcerated people. Singer-songwriter John Legend co-founded one of those initiatives called Free America, and he narrates and appears in the documentary. And he started our conversation by telling me about members of his own family who have lived through incarceration and its aftermath. I've had multiple family members and neighbors and friends I grew up with people who I'm still close with, who spent quite a long time in prison. Coming back home is very difficult. There are just so many barriers that are in your way, laws and regulations that make it harder for people to come back and live a productive life. Rules that make it harder to vote, rules that make it harder to get a home, rules that make it harder to even chaperone a school trip for your kids. So there's all kinds of barriers out there that make it so that when people come home, they don't feel like they can contribute to society or be part of a community because there's so many barriers erected in in their way. How did you decide to talk about it? And was it hard to talk about? I actually started um, really thinking about this issue because of... uh, my sister's baby's father. They had uh, her first two kids together. Uh, He had gotten in trouble multiple times with the law. He had come from a family where multiple family members of his had gotten locked up. So it was kind of like a cycle that kept repeating. And I wanted my nephews to break that cycle. But part of them breaking that cycle was him being able to work. And seeing how many barriers there were in front of that, he reached out to me and said, you should look at this issue and think about it, see what you can do to help. 
Why this documentary and why now? Well, storytelling, I think, is very important. When you're trying to make change in the world, part of the change has to be legislative and you're trying to bring these numbers down of mass incarceration. And I think a lot of convincing and a lot of persuasion happens when you're able to actually put real lives and real stories to these statistics and laws and and all these things. So the documentary follows several people's stories, and one of them we just heard from Anthony Ray Hinton, who was wrongfully incarcerated for some 30 years. A lot of the people in the film did what they are accused of doing. Absolutely. Why do you think it's important that they acknowledge that they did commit the acts that they were accused of? What I always try to convince people of is that it's good for all of us if these folks have something to do, something to motivate them, something to make them want to wake up every morning and and be excited to face the day. We're all better off when these folks feel like they can contribute. That means they are more likely to be better citizens, less likely to get in trouble again and end up back in prison or jail. It makes us all safer. It makes us all more secure. So most of these folks did what they were accused of, but we can't punish them forever. And if we do try to punish them forever, we all lose out. Sheena Mead, uh, who's one of the folks in this story, she's leading a massive organization with a huge multi-million dollar budget. And why would you want to lose out on her ingenuity and her drive by depriving her of those opportunities simply because she's been arrested before? And at that moment, I felt like I was reliving trauma. If I check this box, What am I exposing my child to? What stigma am I bringing to my child? What stigma am I bringing to myself? So I decided not to go on that school trip. And it made me wonder years later, how many other parents are not fully engaged in their child's education because they have to go through these processes? Sheena founded uh, the Clean Slate program. That program's all about clearing people's records once they've not gotten in trouble for a certain amount of time. It's so inspiring to see someone who took a negative experience she went through, flipped it into something promising and positive, and helped a lot of other people who were in a similar situation. You were talking about Sheena, how she was arrested. And then years later, she wanted to be a chaperone on one of her kids' school trips. Yes. And she couldn't because she was worried that then it would stigmatize her son. Yeah. And I thought that was really touching because people are always complaining, you know, parents, they don't do enough, and where are the parents? How come they're not involved? She wanted to be involved, but she felt like she couldn't. You know, Sheena will tell you the story about why she was arrested before. She wrote a check for $87 that bounced, and she was arrested for that. So imagine having to pay for that the rest of your life. And some folks, you know, admittedly did a lot more and a lot worse than her, but letting one offense determine your entire future, we need to have better space for forgiveness and grace, even just the practical reality that we need these folks to be part of society. So I, I want to go back before we let you go to the you part of this. I mean, you are one of the most famous performers in America, mm-hmm. the youngest EGOT ever. I mean, you, you don't have to do this. And I was just interested if it's hard for you in some way. Is it people come to you for the joy and the fun? You're <laughs> like dinner by candlelight guy. And so I'm just wondering if it's ever hard for you to talk about hard things like this. Yes, you're right. I'll still give them that great experience that they want on date night. But I can't unknow all the things I know about what's happening in this country. I can't not recall the things I've read, 
the things I've experienced with my own family, and I care enough about a brighter future for our country and a brighter future for black and brown people who have been excluded, overpunished, and marginalized in this country. I care about that, and I care about us, and I want us to have a brighter future in this country. And one way that we're going to do that is by reforming our criminal legal system. Singer, songwriter John Legend, he narrates and appears in the documentary Home Free, and that's spelled home slash free, and it's out this week on Amazon Prime. John Legend, thank you so much for talking to us once again. Thank you, Michelle. Always a pleasure. All right. What are your thoughts on that? You you know, uh, uh, thank you for bringing this up. So here's where I get to be. There's we got to look at another thing because John Legend, Danny Glover, and I can't think of the other uh, uh, entertainer. They got together to put together this nonprofit called the Bail Project because they wanted to help people get bail, right? You know, uh, you know, they think that's part of the problem with you know increasing mass incarceration, right? And so they opened up you know a, a part of their offices in Las Vegas, and one particular guy, which they bailed out, they paid three thousand dollars for his bail, ended up going and trying to shoot people, right? Right? Shooting, shooting folks almost uh, killed somebody, right? Right? Somebody's left in the hospital. They shut that whole bail project down immediately at that point, right? Right? right. They shut it down, clo- you know, closed it, and just at least, at least the, the uh, Las Vegas branch of it, right? They got rid of it, right? 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 Um, there was another situation, and this is a, a bit more recent, uh, you know, uh, here in California, right, where an individual who was someone um, who was a formerly an incarcerated individual uh, and was on the registry, right? right? Uh, and he, after 20 years, right, he went to fight to get his, his name off the registry, right, right? And get all that because he was reformed, right, right, right? And then after, after he successfully fights in the court and gets his name off the registry, he goes and assaults another woman, right, right, right? So I'm using these examples to say that as we go through this process, you know, of how we're trying to do criminal justice reform, how we're trying to change all these things, we do have to be very, very uh, meticulous and understand that these situations are still going to happen, and how we're going to and how we're going to address these situations because that's what's going to bring up fear in people. It's like, well, you bail these people out, and now they're out there doing stuff again, right? Right? You know, or you know, uh, we are trying to reintegrate people into society, not to say that everybody's a bad thing, but here are these people who are deal- still doing committing crimes, they're still not uh, are doing right. So there just needs to be a bigger discussion about how we delineate between, let's be honest, those we can save and those we may not be able to, right? And what do we do with that? Mm. On that point, I don't think that burden. Hold on one second, Chief. Yeah, go ahead, Donald. On that point, I don't know any system that is 100% perfect. And you have to say, even if you have a 20% of the people you save or you're offended, what has the contribution of the other 80% been? So we have to be mindful that when we do these things, there would be a percentage that would repeat, there would be a percentage that will continue or that we cannot save. It doesn't mean, for instance, that the office they had in San Francisco or where it wasn't successful. If they had one guy went and shoot up somebody after and they shut down the hole, how many people went to that office? How many people was bailed out? 
what percentage of people lead honorable lives after. You see, in this country, we like to look at the negative spin a lot, and we give it a lot of mandate, and yes, we have to take it into consideration, but sometimes we use statistics to lie. And I use my mic. Thank you, Donald. Go right ahead, Chief. Yeah, I completely, 1,000% agree with Donald. You know, we... We, we can't we can't lead with fear. I mean, we've forgiven a whole nation that has that has enslaved us, murdered us, raped us, lynched us, and we make no qualms about it. So much so, we'll even pledge allegiance to the same country that did all that, as if that that's not a criminal. Oh, thank you. That's not a criminal activity. We have to. We, we you know, we, we just gotta. I, I'll just say I agree with Don. We gotta, we gotta build on the positive, like he's like, like John Legend said. You got this one woman who started a foundation and did something phenomenal. If if she was one out of five, that's a hell of a statistic, because she made major, major, major change. Mm -hmm. And and we need to put our, we need to put our focus there and celebrate that those opportunities, because it's there. And and at the end of the day, realistically. Even if you have five, that one out of five, what happened to the other four? It's most likely that the environment that they had to cultivate, that was going to cultivate them, was just wasn't productive. It's like growing food. You might you might plant five. <laughs> I might plant plant five uh, charred plants and only four survive, or only two survive. I'm not going to be tripping over the ones that don't survive. I'm going to make sure that I cultivate really well the ones that do, and then we hope for the best the next round. Mm -hmm. That's all, in. all right, thank you, Chief. I think someone else's mic is open. Go right ahead, Drew. Yeah, and if we if we truly invest in the ideal that we call these places correctional facilities, if that's what they are, then let's focus and and put the the state money towards that things in there that will actually help correct them, help prepare them. Like, like we were talking, like uh, you were talking about with the veterans when they, when they're about to be discharged, you know, going through the mental health checks, you know, sending them to um, financial literacy courses. Um, do they have a GED? Let's make sure you have that. Let's set them up for success. If they need to go, you know, they don't have anywhere to go set them up with a with a shelter so that when they leave they have somewhere to sleep at night you know it's it's i think it has to do with the way and how we also treat people and look at them as well i get it um it's sometimes hard to look at them that way because of the crimes that they committed but it's something to consider and the fact that we see all the horrific things and the different bills and laws that get put in place and people still keep voting for the same people to go into office and ruin this country year after year after year. But we don't want to at least try to help in the rehabilitation process of someone coming out of prison. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Drew. Anyone else wants to share their thoughts on that one before I move on? All right. Great points made by everyone. And I thank John Legend for embarking on this mission and bringing awareness, right? Um, how people are affected and 
the resolution that's needed, the various um, forms of resolution that's needed so that people can pick up the pieces. Because the truth is, if we don't have, if we don't see a way out, we are going to revert. We're going to go back to what is familiar. And it's not necessarily what you want to do, but you feel as though you're backed into a corner, right? Not everyone has the support system. Not everyone is leaving to go to a support system that will help them get their lives back on track. Unfortunately, some people really have nobody. Family has totally turned their back. They're, they have no friends. Everyone has moved on and they are alone left to... Um, to try to get it together. Thank you so much for the great conversation. Let me see if I can squeeze in one more. A Michigan school district has banned students from carrying backpacks. This story courtesy of NPR. A public school district in Flint, Michigan has banned backpacks, citing safety concerns. The ban went into effect at Flint Community Schools on Monday. Instead, students will be able to carry clear plastic bags with gym clothes, lunch boxes, small purses containing personal items such as hygiene products, wallets, keys, and phones within reason, the district said. Those bags will still be subjected to searches. If a backpack is brought to school, a student will be sent to the front office to call their parent or guardian to pick it up. Across the country, we have seen an increase in threatening behavior and contraband, including weapons being brought into schools at all levels. Backpacks make it easier for students to hide weapons which can be disassembled and harder to identify or hidden in pockets, inside books, or under other items. The decision was approved by the Flint Board of Education, the district's principal and administration, and in collaboration with the Flint Police Department, Flint Community Schools said, We have thought long and hard about this decision, knowing that it will impact how scholars and families prepare for their days and operations in the classroom. However, based on the issues we continue to see across the country regarding school safety, we believe that this is the best solution for those we serve. Do we feel that is something that should be done all across? I think it's a great idea. Probably something that should be done in all schools. Elementary, um, middle, and high. Go right ahead, Afo. So, yo, I, I get it. I get the safety concern and everything. But that's what I have a prison, a prison system right here. So let me ask you, would you rather that or would you rather the privacy and then another school is shut up? No, I'm saying, instead of come up with that, they're going to come with like, uh, what do you call them, something they, um, um, uh, uh, like a metal detector or they want them, we want them, but when we used to go to the Stone Art Academy, I forget my bag one. And I think for me, to, yeah, when we like a, the last part of high school, me end up, I forget my bag one uh, 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 as well. You know what I say? The one year, um, one year and all them suffering, even if you go a certain government. You're back in the matrix, Afro. You're back in the matrix. Afro, I'm not hoping, I hope you're hearing me. I, okay. So Javed put in the chat. Um, what happened to clear backpacks? It's been that way in Texas for a few years now. Sorry, Afo, you were in the matrix. Um, that I would recommend the clear backpacks throughout. And if I let's go back to the top of the article, they are students will be able to carry clear plastic bags. I think they need to switch that from plastic bags to backpacks. 
that is what I will um, recommend. People, yes, Javette, I agree. Javette is putting in the chat. And if we remember when um, we had this conversation, I want to think last year, people complained about metal detectors and the wands and felt as though they were going into a prison and that sort of thing. So uh, we have to come up with a resolution. Um, plastic bag, uh, what you call it, plas clear plastic backpacks that you're able to see. And even those will have to get searched because if the, the student has gym that day, they can easily wrap up things in that. So, you know, we want to make sure that everything is checked. Right now, we got to do, we just got to try everything. We can't leave anything off the table. Try, try, try. Uh, the book back... The I have moved on, uh, moving oh, on, right. moving on. Yeah, in the interest right, of time, right. library funding becomes the nuclear option as the battle over books escalates. This story also courtesy of NPR. The decibel level is climbing as some 20 preschoolers sprawl out on an alphabet pattern carpet for story hour. One toddler who is new to the group is having a bit of a meltdown. So Otto Bowman, a library associate at the Daniel Boone Regional Library in Columbia, uh, Missouri, goes for the shortest trick she has and starts talking about Junior, the library's bookmobile. As usual, it gets the kids' attention and the gaggle settles down so Bowman can begin story hour. Hello, I'm Ducky Duckling. She reads, when I feel happy, I say quack, quack. The kids cackle and quack back. But the happy face Bowman puts on for kids belies a deep anxiety. As president of the Missouri Library Association, she's currently in a bit of a panic over strict new rules that go into effect May 30 and could deny state funding to libraries over books deemed inappropriate for young readers. Missouri is one of a growing number of places where government funding is being deployed as the newest weapon in the fight over books. While state lawmakers were considering several bills that would have axed library funding, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft jumped in and decided to enact what is called an administrative rule, one that does not need legislative approval. I said I have to figure out how to do this because by rule, I can get it done much more quickly than if I wait on the legislature, he says. A Republican who has recently announced he's running for governor. Under the new rule, public libraries will lose state funding, which ranges from 1% to 20% of their budget, if they violate the rules among the new requirements. And here are. Libraries must have strict new policies barring them from giving minors books that their parents do not want them to read. Libraries also must keep any age-inappropriate books away from areas meant for young readers, and they must clearly publicize how they select books and how parents can challenge those choices. Also, all events at the library, including story hours, must be labeled with age-appropriate designations in all their promotions. The move comes as books are being banned from libraries at rates not seen in decades. Most of them have to do with LGBTQ themes or race and racism. But Ashcroft insists that tying library funding to book selection is not banning books. I think this is reasonable strings on dollars, he says. We see that all the time with government funding. It happens with highways. It happens with schools. That is the way of the world. 
It is unclear how exactly the Missouri rules would be enforced or what happens, for example, if parents challenge a book they see as age-inappropriate, but the library disagrees and keeps it. I really don't know how it would work, Ashcroft says. I could potentially see maybe a parent sues my office and says, hey, you're not allowed to fund them. They're not doing what they said they're doing. But that would then be decided in a court of law. The uncertainty and the new reality libraries are suddenly facing has left many librarians like Bowman scared about their future. I think we're all just in shock. It's not clear-cut at all how in the world this is going to work, and there's so much that could go wrong. Bowman has been scrambling with attorneys to figure out what exactly libraries need to do to comply. For example, with the new requirements for parental approval, the state is giving them a grace period of a few months to figure it out. Attorneys for the libraries advise it is not possible to manage which individual parents are okay with which specific books or to monitor what every kid is looking at or checking out. Many libraries now have self-checkouts. Instead, the attorneys say libraries should reissue new library cards to all members with the disclaimer that if parents are not okay with their child having full access, they should not allow their child to get a card. Still, Bowman says, one misstep or one parent upset that their teen wandered into the adult section of the library could prove catastrophic. It is terrifying, she says with a sigh. I could go home thinking, oh my goodness, I just cost my library $160,000 because that's the amount of the state aid we would lose if we violated the rule. Indeed, what started as skirmishes over individual book titles and escalated into threats of jail or fines now ex now poses an ex existential threat, and I know I butchered that word, forgive me, to some libraries. Any proposal to defund the library is the nuclear option. It's an attack on education. It's an attack on the public good. And the idea is very much alive and gaining steam. In Texas, a bill would defund public libraries that allow drag show story times for children. And while Yano County just dodged a bullet that would have defunded libraries there, following a flap over books deemed offensive, others were not so lucky. I think I have a, 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 an easy solution. Online books. You want your children to read books? Let, you select the books online and let them read the books online. Case closed. Shut the damn libraries down then because I don't think we're going to be able to figure this out. And every parent is going to have an issue. A parent is going to go in the library, see a book with a black girl on the cover. I don't like this book. I think this book is going to speak about racism. And they're going to challenge. And it's just going to cause confusion. So easy way out. Audiobooks or whatever. Go read the books online. That's it. I, I I don't know. We Do I understand some concerns? Yes, I do. Age-appropriate books? Yes, I do understand the concerns. Believe you me, I do. Well, then, probably have rooms in libraries. I know I was a little upset when I started out, but rooms in libraries um, that you have to scan the card to get in there and library cards issued with um, restrictions so if your child is between this age to this age they can only go into that section of the library right probably do that 
as a, as a resolution. Any other suggestions as to how respectfully I disagree? <laughs> go ahead, Sonette. Oh, hold on. Don't go ahead yet, Sonette. Let me wrap up on air and I'll be right back. And then we can have our closing thoughts. I, I don't know. There's just so much confusion. Everybody's up in arms about everything right now. We don't even know what to do. Here's Donna Summer to take us out with Bad Girls. to give a big thank you to everyone that tuned in online the quality music zone qmzradio.com for quality music while you work or play keep it logged on to www.qmzradio.com for that good music to get you through your day to everyone listening on johnoradio.com thank you so much for tuning in coming up later on we do have blitz thursday takeover thursday musical chairs for that non-stop party vibe, keep it logged on to www.janoradio.com. Jano Radio, take us on the go. Gotta give a big thank you to my studio audience, courtesy of Clubhouse. Always grateful for the conversation, the varying perspectives, views, opinions. Coming up Monday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, set your alarms live on QMZRadio.com, JohnnoRadio.com, and the live conversation happens on Clubhouse. It is Days After Dark, real relationship talk. Join myself, Rose Solo, Sonette Javette, and Marlon as we talk about the big O. This was a Moments With Me media production. QMZ Radio, John O Radio. This is Moments With Me signing out. Catch you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern. Clubhouse, I'll be right back with you.